G'day everyone and welcome to the Australian Herpetoculture Podcast. I'm your host Jason. And my name is Luke. How you going buddy? Mate, I'm doing well, doing well. Arms are a bit tired this afternoon actually because I just painted three coats on three different terrariums of that tile pointing so yeah, nice feeling a little sore. Yeah. <laughs> Good workout for the day. Yeah. Yeah, not too bad mate. Long days at work, long days at work but what pays the bills and buys the critters so you gotta do what you gotta do exactly exactly so, so speak speaking of buying critters i heard that you potentially got a tank commissioned yeah so basically i'm i've been talking to i think i mentioned it on the podcast last week i've been talking to a guy regarding some pvc enclosures so um yeah contacted him had a bit of a chat and sorted something out got um a good size enclosure coming so be pretty interesting to see when it comes what the quality's like and hopefully give everyone a bit of a sneak peek on the on the on the interwebs and get a get a nice build started so have to um head down to bunnings and watch your videos again and get stuck into a nice background so yeah you'll have to uh uh, You'll have to kind of post up some photos and stuff all over Instagram and Facebook and that just to kind of keep everyone in the loop about where you're at during the build and yeah, my candy keep my mug out of it though. Yeah, I will keep my mug out of it though. I'm not good on in front of the camera, so. But no, nah, keen keen to start this one. So, um, but I'm uh, yeah, looking for some hopefully wouldn't hopefully some Boyd's Forest Dragons. So I've designed the enclosure around the Boyd's Forest Dragons, or the Spinosauruses, as my son likes to call them. So. Nice. Design the dimensions around the boids and, yeah, looking forward to it. Looking so forward with, to it. With the PVC cage, what kind of door does it have on it? It has a, uh, I think it's an acrylic door, I believe. One single hole swinging door because I hate sliding doors. That was one of the things I loved about the Exoterras was there was no sliding doors. Even when I had enclosures made for when i kept pythons had green tree pythons i always went it was hard cost extra but i went a big solid glass um hinge door yeah that's that'd be nice yeah i just hate sliding doors for some reason i don't like the way they look and i hate the way the sand gets caught in them and grinds and trying to open them and it gets hard and you got to tuck your knuckles in and then the thing bites your knuckles and yeah, and if you have a nice swing door with like potentially some sort of like little handle on there, then you don't get so much smudging or anything like that on the glass. Yeah, exactly. I just had a little on the green tree pythons. I just had a little black gum handle at the top corner, so I just had a little pop latch as well. So had a little safety latch. So if the snake ever did manage to pop it, it wouldn't actually open at all. But so I'd undo the safety latch, pop the hinge. It was like a magnetic hinge. Yep. And then undo it. So it was good. No fingerprints on the glass or anything. And it was nice and strong because it was glass. So it wasn't um, – I tried – when I built some enclosures, I tried using um, – what's the Perspex? But yep. every time I tried to cut it, it just cracked. So I'm actually pretty interested to see these um, these PVC enclosures. They should be pretty cool. I mean, uh, they're, they're pretty light from my understanding because, I mean, I've got some stuff that's built out of a similar product. It's uh, – you know, like uniboard or whatever, and those enclosures were so light to lift once they were empty. Yeah, so, uh, well, that was that's the other benefit too is it's being light. So if you need to move stuff around, it's it's not heavy. Um, whereas you'd have like a twelve hundred melamine enclosure, and you'd need someone to come around and give you a hand to basically slide it anywhere. If it had another one on top, or if it was on something, you you couldn't move it yourself. 
No. I remember I had um, my Gillens got out when I had a little Gillens jumped out of the similar to what your um, prickly forest king did. Yeah, opened the door straight out the enclosure, and it's lucky that the room I've got pretty I've made it so it's pretty well sealed, so basically nothing can kind of get out if it gets out. Yeah, and I was moving exoterras, I was moving racks to try and catch the little fella. So, got especially with, especially with bioactive tanks too, because you've all that substrate and all the drainage layer and all the rest of it in there, they're bloody heavy. Yeah, and then that lip, you've got the lip because you've got all your drainage layer and your substrate. Basically, you've got like two centimetres, so the lizards can pretty much come straight out, straight over the yeah. top, whereas if you you keep them, you know, just on a bit of sand, you've got like the whole bottom lip of the exoterra. So. Yeah, but more like 100 mil to play with. Yeah, yeah. I've got a nice big um, deep lip on the bottom of this one, so I can do a nice deep substrate layer. So, How far did you um, go? How, what sort of depth? I think, I think, I think it was like, Two, three hundred, or something from memory. It's I've got to save some of my phone. Yeah, so a That's little smallish drainage layer, and then um, yeah, nice deep layer of of um, substrate, so I can get some plants in there and basically give them some good soil to grow in. So. That's that sort of depth too. You'll be able to get some mad root systems and stuff happening in that sort of soil yeah. layer. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I'm pretty keen to um, get that build underway. So. Um, have you have you had any it. have you had any thoughts as to what you're going to use to light it up or anything yet? I had a I've still got um, for the plants, not so much exactly for the UV for the boids, but I've got I've still got some Arcadia Jungle Dawn LEDs. Oh, solid! So I've got I've still got all basically all my enclosures previously had the Jungle Dawns. I've still yep. got. I'm gonna say at least eight of them. Oh wow! So I've still got quite a few of the um, globes. So, but they're oh, so only you've... the smaller ones. So I might have to get a, a bigger light. So I've still got a, I've still got some stuff, but, but yeah. So I don't know whether that will be enough light to penetrate to the bottom of the enclosure. But um, we'll just have to trial and error. I might have to get a um little UV meter and have some readings and see see what the the readings are down the bottom. Yeah, nice. I'm um I'm actually going to take it. Oh, I'm going to start a Boyd's Forest Dragon build. I'm hoping within the next two weeks. Yeah. Um, to upgrade my Boyd's Forest Dragons, but unlike you, I'm not not loaded at the moment. I can't afford those <laughs> PVC enclosures, so uh, I'll be going my old faithful route of using form ply. Um, well, that's that's pretty pretty weatherproof. So that's my thought. Um, I'm going to figure out something to. I want to kind of make like a bit of a drainage dam in there, maybe using something like core flute just because that's oh, yeah. pretty pretty water watertight. So if I kind of seal yeah. that up in the corners, then it should be should be kind of interesting to see how that works. Um, but anyway, one of the lights that I actually want to use on there is actually an aquarium light. It's a, a freshwater prime, they're called. So basically they're a controllable light. You can control them on an app on your phone. I've got them on my yeah, right. tank here behind me as well. But you can kind of set yeah. sunrise, sunset, and you can dial in all the different LED diodes to how you want it throughout the day. So you can dial in your reds, your greens, your whites, your warm whites. Um, I think there might be another one there too. Uh, your UV, so you can do that as well. It's not not like reptile UV as in like, you know, good for processing vitamin D3 and all the rest of it, but to have kind of like a cool sunrise and sunset feature, like I've just got this light kicking around from my fish tank. So I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I might try to incorporate that somehow as well as some other sort of like LED lighting just to, you know, make it look a little fancy. Yeah. 
Well, that'd be pretty cool watching there. So it just comes on gradually, does it? Instead of coming on basically straight away, it just gradually comes on. Yeah, so you, you you can set the ramp to however you want. So I could have it ramp up for six hours and down for six hours or whatever you want. You could do it in 15 minutes, two minutes, or however fast you want it. So that's something that I'll probably have ramp up maybe over just like the course of an hour and then just yep. when that kind of hour kicks on, then I'll just kick all the lights on. And yeah. after after the main kind of LEDs and UV kick off, I could have it ramped down for an hour as well, just for yeah, some kind of chilled look in the uh, rainforest. That's, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good idea, actually. I like that. Time that in with your Miss Kings, mate. You could have a um, whole little habitat going on in there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into it, to be honest, because, yeah, I've got some ideas about what I want to do with it. So it'll be kind of cool doing almost simultaneous Boyd's fields, actually. I reckon that'll be kind of I fun. might just wait till you're finished and copy yours. No. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a bit cheeky. Yeah. No, yours will probably work out better than mine. Oh, you'll get a message from me during the day. Like, Mate, I'm over this background. <laughs> Come and do one for me. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we can correspond and I can give you some tips along the way, no doubt. Yeah, well, you've got enough um, enough videos out there for me to follow, so I'll definitely be hitting those up, watching a couple of them before I get started. So, Yeah, I've got, I've got this kind of like idea with the Boyds where I actually want to do something a bit different to what I've done in the other ones. I actually want to kind of do like almost like a, a – I don't know if recessed is the right term, but I want to kind of do like a lip where it can actually hold a little bit of soil and – like not a mad amount of soil, but kind of like halfway up the enclosure so you can grow things like some epiphytes, like some bird's nest ferns and oh, things yeah. in there just to kind of have somewhere to kind of purchase the plant in, perch the plant yep. in rather. Something like that could be cool, but yeah, I'm kind of yet to get the, get the foam or anything. Yeah, just cut, kind of carve it in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just That's try to make it idea. almost look like, you know, almost like shelf rock. You know, if you think about how many how many times you see a cliff face and it's got kind of like plants and ferns coming out the side of it where there's like a crack or something. So it's just some way to try to make it look natural, hopefully. Yeah. And, uh, no, that's good. plants in there. Yeah, no, that'll look unreal if you can manage to do that. That's the hope. Yeah. And um, I see you've been working on a brown tree snake enclosure. Yeah. So that's another one that I've been um, working on today as well. So... I've uh, started. Well, I've I've just put the first coat of tile pointing on it, as well as another couple of enclosures that I'm just kind of recoating. But yeah, I've got three on the go, so that's why my arms are killing me. Because uh, if anybody that knows me, I've got some pretty pretty crappy shoulders on me. So yeah, it's uh, a bit torturous doing this. But I'm just so keen to get this whole Exoterra rack wall complete. Like I just want it yep. to look mad and you know all zoo quality or what I think is zoo quality. So yeah, yeah. Bit of fun. Oh, that'll look good. Yeah. What um what theme are you going for? Just like the natural area that the um they're found in, or yeah, I think I'll do it pretty similar to my other brown tree snake enclosure that I've got. Um, yeah, that original one that I've got though, I've got kind of like for anybody that hasn't seen the video, I've got kind of two hiding areas in there, and they're joined at the back fire pipe in, in the rock wall so the the snake itself can actually go from the hot hide up the top down to the cool hide down the bottom and not actually expose itself to the elements so to speak um but i haven't done this in this build just because it is so tedious and so painful to kind of get all the pointing into all the right areas and stuff so i've just kind of done one main hide so to speak so yeah but it's kind of got like these removable uh sandstone shelves if you want to call it that so then you can kind of get into the hide box and you know, retrieve the animal if you need to. Yeah, no, that'll look um that'll be that'd be pretty cool. So 
I think, yeah, you've got that video up, don't you? Um, I think I vaguely remember watching that one, I think. Yeah, it's up It's up now. I think it's been out for maybe a month or so, I think. Yeah. I can't remember. I can't keep up. Yes, yeah, so I can't yeah. remember if you've got them up or not because you sent them to me before you put them up, so I get like a little sneak peek before they go up, so it's good. Oh, so you I got pretty lucky today too. Not, so. yeah. yeah, I know. A couple of videos today, so. Yeah, they haven't even gone out to the Patreons yet either. So yeah, have a couple to get... of long long toilet breaks at work just to watch a couple of videos. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure all your uh, workmates will be happy with that. Yeah, yeah, I'll get them. You watch, they'll bloody shout something out to me. They'll be listening to this and they're going, oh, so that's where you went. Oh, no, yeah. You've been watching a weird lizard guy in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> lucky I've got earphones in there. Like, what the hell are you watching in there, mate? <laughs> no, it's good fun. Yeah. So you were also mentioning earlier that you're going to get a bookshelf sorted for your room. Yeah, I want to put my books on display. So basically... What's the point of keeping them in plastic containers where I can't read them? So basically I want to be able to just have them handy, see what I've got, see what I need to get still because um, I still need to track down a couple of magazine episodes, um, not episodes, bloody a couple of magazines. But, um, yeah, so I want to be able to just have them on display in the room. I'll have all the, the tanks in the room and basically be in my little office as well. So yeah, the office good. hurt room. So it'll be good to come down and do some work look at the animals while I'm down here and all that kind of stuff. Basically a little, almost like a man cave, if you could call it a man cave. I just need a bar fridge down here too and I'll be set. Well, we're both sit here sitting sitting down and having a beverage. So yeah, exactly. it's got a nicer, you know, second episode in. We got the nerves out of the way on the first one and yeah. we can kind of enjoy ourselves and just have a friendly chat. Yeah, thanks for some of the feedback we received too, guys. That was good to hear. Um, basically, you know, anything you want to hear and, how we did, anything we could improve. It was good to hear some feedback. Yeah, it was awesome to to get a lot of positive feedback. Um, yeah. Yeah, so many people reached out. Hey, like I was really impressed yeah. with how many people actually wanted to have a chat about it and, you know, throw an idea here or there or, you know, we've got a few guests lined up now as well, which is really awesome. Yeah, no, looking forward to what we've got installed, so... Definitely looking forward to it. But, um, yeah, if you guys – so what we want to try and do with some of these episodes as well is when me and Luke talk about basically what what we're talking about, we're going to try and upload some videos on – not videos, um, pictures onto Instagram and Facebook on the podcast page. So um, basically if we're talking about some of the species and you're, you're new to the hobby and you're not sure what it is, we want to try and upload a couple of those pictures so you can see what it is. Um, what we're talking about enclosure-wise. You can see the enclosures we're talking about, what we're basically trying to do with enclosures and all that stuff. So, um, But, yeah, if, you, if you've if you got any questions, you can also shoot us a message too. Um, but, yeah, so if you keep an eye out on, um, on the pages and basically see, you'll be able to see what we're talking about when we're, when we're talking. So we'll upload them probably after the podcast goes live we're still having i think some issues with apple podcast at the moment so you may hear the second episode on spotify before you hear it on the apple podcast app so it is what it is but unfortunately it just seems like it's taken a little while to get pre-approved or or approved exactly apple and google i think think google's being a bit tight now too yeah i think so i think they changed they changed a bunch of stuff or something so but yeah we know we appreciate you guys listening to us so yeah, and so, thanks yeah. again for all the all the positive res- response. It's been awesome. Yeah. So why don't we tell the listeners what our episode is going to be about tonight? What do you reckon? 
Yeah, may as well. So, uh, I mean, I might as well jump the gun here and say that we're going to just be basically chatting all things bioactive and how to kind of go about and set up these bioactive terrariums and kind of just discuss a few different points along the way. It may be yep. either a really long long episode or we might split it over two. It just depends on how sidetracked we both get with with the topics at hand. But, uh, yeah, it should be a good one. Yeah, because basically this is the way that both Luke and I like to keep our animals. Um, so, yeah, we're pretty pretty heavily invested in this topic. So, yeah, it, can, it should uh, be a good one. can be a big learning curve. I'm definitely yeah, still definitely. learning a hell of a lot. Yeah, so am I. I mean... It's one of those things when you start talking about UV and plants and basically we're just a bunch of guys that keeps lizards and snakes in a box that are trying to make them look good. So, Yep. Yeah, all our snap, snapshots of nature, right? Yeah, exactly. Now we're um, trying to learn more about plants and what plant species are good and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, should be um, should be interesting, I reckon. Yeah. Well, I suppose we better start at the bottom, right? Like if you're going to start anywhere, if you're going to be building one of these terrariums, you've got to, got to start from a certain layer. So what we will start talking about is your drainage layer. So this is kind of like the first element that you're going to be putting into your terrariums. Obviously, a watertight sealed terrarium too. Probably wouldn't be doing yeah. this in a timber vivarium that's, you know, not got any sort of waterproofing on the inside of it at the very least. Yeah, or a melamine if you haven't sealed any of the corners or done done some waterproofing down the bottom. So this yeah. is why me and Luke both like the um, exoterras and hopefully it'll be good to see what this PVC enclosure is like where I've got to seal all the corners and well, I'll probably have to seal the corners, but, yeah, make it watertight. So I was actually going to ask that. Here's our first sidetrack. Do, does he do anything with sealing it or is he just kind of – does it come flat-packed or how's it actually coming? As far as I know, it comes flat-packed. So um, basically okay. I'll put it together. So I'll probably – when I put it all together, I'll bead some silicon inside the joints yep. and then probably just run some beads of silicon basically where all the cracks are in the side and hopefully seal it up as good as I can. Um, might sit a bit of water in it outside and see if any any water leaks out. Um, okay. So, yeah, basically – I mean – I'm kind of lucky where my room is if it's not 100% watertight, but, I mean, it's not going to have a pond of water sitting in the bottom, but still there's going to be basically, you know, at the bottom of a drainage lake can get like sometimes depending on miskings yeah. and basically watering regimes and whatnot. So, um, but, yeah, so it doesn't have to be 100% watertight, but pretty well watertight. Yeah, that's the kind of vibe that I want to do with my boids as well is seal it as best as I can while I build it and still kind of just have that that water well in there just to kind of, I don't know, be a bit of peace of mind, so to speak. But yeah, so um, yeah, I don't know. Let's get started on it. There are a few different kind of options that most people actually use for the kind of drainage section of these terrariums. Um, one option is actually building like essentially like an egg crate box just to kind of rise or raise your dirt above kind of like a certain level. So some people might kind of use, you know, anywhere from three to five centimeters as a guide just to kind of build a bit of this egg crate up or some people call it light light diffuser. I think overseas in the US yeah. it's called light diffuser a fair bit on a lot of videos. Yeah. Um, have you ever done that? I've never done that, but um, I'd be interested to do one when I set up the frog enclosure. I wouldn't mind um, giving it a crack and doing like a little paludarium kind of setup. Um, yeah. Have like a waterfront and then the egg crate at the back. So I haven't actually tried it. I've, I remember when I was doing my enclosures, I actually saw some of the um, 
of it online from a plastics plastics supply place down in Sydney. So I know you can get it online. So I did think about using it, but I haven't actually tried it yet. But it'd be something I'd like to try in the future. I mean, if it doesn't work, you can always just pull it out and basically go back to what I, I use now. So yeah, I've um I'm using it in my current Boyd's enclosure actually. Um, oh really? Yeah, I, th- I find it fine as long as you cut it tight enough and you're able to kind of seal in around the egg crate, so to speak, so yep. that no dirt can kind of get down the front or behind or the sides of the enclosure. Um, I think one way I did that, if I did kind of cut it a little bit shy, is I just used a few like either like your, your hydroponic balls or something down the side just to kind of bulk it out and then Fill just put in. another yep. yeah bit, bit more of a layer of fly screen over the top. But, yeah, we'll get yeah. We'll get into that a bit further down the line. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I rate it. You can yeah, see so the- I've never tried it. It'd be interesting to, to give it a crack though one day. So I've noticed they use it a lot overseas. I've noticed that. In particular in frog builds, I find. Yeah, so in the dart frogs and stuff. Frogs and stuff, yeah. 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 Um, it's a good way to kind of be able to have like some sort of water pump actually underneath the drainage layer as well, depending on if you want it to be serviceable or not. But then it can actually draw yeah. water really easily through that layer. So yeah. I definitely think in frog builds where you do run a bit of water, it might be might be quite useful. Hmm. Yeah, I reckon so too. What um what is what's your main basically? What do you prefer? The, these days, I've switched over pretty much solely to those like hydroponic uh, expanded clay balls. A um, yep. couple of reasons: a, I think they look really nice. Um, yeah, that yeah uh, sounds a little bit wanky, but you know. I want it to look all kind of nice and uniform and look pretty. Um, yep. But they're also really light. And I think that's yeah, a exactly. key, key factor for me, especially, you know, hopefully moving house within the next, oh, I hope soon, but, you know, within the next 12 months at least. And, yeah. yeah, so, you know, for me to be able to go and move all these things, it's going to be a lot different to picking up a terrarium that's full of gravel at the bottom or something like that and something a bit different. Yeah. But yeah. Because they're basically just a um, – because I use the same ones as you. They're basically just a – for people that don't know, we'll post some pictures online, but they're basically just a little ball of clay that's basically aerated and been dried in the kiln. Is that right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they're, they're super light, hey. Like if you pick yeah. up a handful of them, you'd be lucky to weigh a few grams. Like it, it honestly doesn't feel like much. Like I think I've got like a 25-litre container downstairs and it wouldn't be any more than 10 kilos of weight. Yeah, that's right. Whereas if you were to get – you know, a, a small bag of gravel that would weigh five kilos and it'd be yeah. half the size if that. Well, well, one of the options that I was actually going to mention in here um, was scoria. So scoria yep. is kind of like an, a, a volcanic rock from my understanding. Quite often it's used in like uh, garden paths and, you know, kind of landscaping around the house. Um, yeah. And quite often it's actually dyed. Like I, I picked up a couple of bags of it and it was dyed red. Yeah, it's really and, red. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to rin- rinse all this dye out of it. I, mean, I, I spent hours, hours and hours sitting there with a the hose, like flooding the, the lawn, just trying to get all this this red dye out of this stuff, and it still wasn't perfect. And then you pick up your little 30-centimeter cube terrarium, and all of a sudden it's turned into a five-kilo terrarium, and you're going, geez, why did I bother with all of this? I should have just bought the, bought the clay balls to start with. Yeah. Yeah, I am... Um... I just basically walked into a hydroponics store, but it's pretty much was down the road from where I live. And um, I just, the first build I did, I stumbled across the clay fireballs straight away. So I knew what they were and I was 
basically I only ever use them because one, they're easy to get, two, they were light, and three, they're, they're actually relatively cheap too. Yeah. I well, see, I didn't actually really get exposed to them until I started or I got my sponsorship from um, uh, Fish Organics and Reptile Supplies. They, uh, yep. they they hooked me up with a lot of the bioactive kits that they do um, and that was yep. my first kind of real introduction into the expanded clay balls and ever since then I was like, why have I been messing around with this other stuff? You know, like yeah. that, that's another reason that I'm tearing apart all my enclosures now, all the old ones that I, you know, kind of first did. I want to get all this stuff out before I move house and yeah, I don't want to lug all this gravel around and all this scoria and all the rest of it. Did you ever use gravel? Yeah, I've still got, I think I've still got one enclosure that I haven't gutted yet that does have, yeah. it, it's not like an aquarium gravel. It's almost like a, um, I want to say it's like a fine aggregate. So it might be like kind of like a six mil aggregate or something that you could just get from Bunnings. Like it's just for drainage around your house essentially. But yeah, stuff stuff just weighs a ton. Yeah, exactly. And then especially if you're using the glass bottom terrariums, you've got all that weight sitting on the glass, so especially some of the bigger ones where you've got that larger piece of glass down the bottom with no foot underneath. Yeah. Yeah, it gets a little bit scary when you're, when you're talking that sort of weight. Yeah, Man, yeah I actually, especially when you're trying to carry it too. Yeah, and you know all that weight adds up. So if you if you end up anything like me or or uh, Jason here, you know you end up with a rack full of enclosures. Now uh, the rack that's still sitting behind Jason, he's got one of those really industrial. <laughs> uh, that's a racket rack, isn't it? That's one of those. Yeah, really that's heavy, the four hundred kilo ones. Yeah, yeah. See, and if you're a little bit tight like me, you go and buy one of the pinnacle ones for a couple hundred bucks, and you these know, actually work out cheaper. Do they? Yeah. Oh. When you buy all the individual pieces and put it together and then you can basically, so you can, they, they come modular. So you buy the ends, you buy the rails, then you buy the the basically timber or you can have a wire top. The timber's cheaper, so I just use the timber. And then, so once you've got the standing rack, then if you want to add on to that rack, all you've got to do is buy another end and then rails oh, yeah. in between and you can set the rails wherever you want. Um. And if you want to, there's all the little extra little knickknacks you can get for the fronts, like hooks and everything else. But yeah, so you can essentially set it wherever, whatever height you want, like you can with the other ones that you and um, that you spend about, like you said, about a hundred something bucks. I think they are. I yep. think to set up the one behind me was actually under a hundred dollars. That's incredible. And that's, uh, I think, each shelf takes four hundred kilos. I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't do that. I think there was a yep. reason though. How deep are they front to back? There's two sizes. Okay. There's a four fifty. Yeah. And then there is a six 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 hundred, I believe. I think it's six hundred. I might, might be a, when yeah. I, or maybe it's a maybe the four hundred is a three hundred and a four fifty, but then the the thousand kilo shelf goes up to a six hundred, I I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there's there's two different sizes. I might have to have a bit more of a look into it because I think there was some sort of reason as to why I didn't do it originally, and it may just be my my space that I've got because where my racks are, I actually have a, a car that pulls into the garage and kind of lines up next to them. So if it was like a depth thing, like front to back on the shelf, I may not have gone that route just to kind of save a little bit of space so it didn't come into the car. Spot, but yeah, yeah, I can. Um, I'll have a quick look anyway, but I'm pretty sure they come in two sizes. But yeah, the good okay. thing is, is you can just add on to the rack. So yep. if you want to have another another row of racks, you just buy the rails and then one more end instead of buying, 
there are um, another two ends and having two separate racks. It's basically one rack with a middle. And then the shelves come in, I think it's a 900, uh, 1.2, and then an 1800, I think. But where it gets tricky is you think, oh, yeah, it's um, it's 1.2. I can fit two 600 exoterras side by side. You oh. can, but you basically have to lift up the other exoterra over the, over the lip, that little black yep. lip they've got, and sit it in. It gets in there, but it's really hard. So if you try and... You're almost better off building your enclosure, sitting it in there, then adding in all your soils and your plants and everything else because you've got buckleys of getting it out of there. Yeah. That's, That's the a only tr- downfall. That's the tricky thing about the exoterra enclosures. Whilst they have that kind of size guide on them, that little black lip around the bottom of them is a little bit deceptive. So your 600 mil terrarium all of a sudden becomes 620 mil. So. Yep. I've been caught by that early days where I've gone out and bought a rack and I'm going, oh, yeah, I can fit four of these 30-centimetre terrariums next to each other and all of a sudden that becomes, you know, closer to 1,300 mil, not 1,200. Exactly. And you're like, oh, back to square one, got to start this again. So, yep. yeah, I know that feeling of being caught out. Yeah, I did the exact same thing when I had all the other ones in this room originally with um, my strof tanks because they're the 300 by 300. So I did the same thing. thought, oh, yeah, I'll get the 1,200 and I can fit all those enclosures on it wasn't like at the end I'm like I can't even fit half an enclosure on this I basically had the end of the rack that had nothing on it so that's what mine have now as well I just use it for storage I have like you know my my water can water watering can you know my f10 whatever I've got feed jars all that sort of stuff just kind of hidden down the ends of it so at least the space isn't going to waste but yeah, yeah it'd be I'd nice to have a nice tight spread. fitting yeah but for, nice if you got if you've got the two enclosures, they fit and it looks really neat basically because you've got, you know, there's no there's no gaps anywhere. So Yeah, that's awesome. That's another thing that we should have put on the list is for any bioactive nuts out there is watch watch uh, what kind of racks you go and buy. Really suss them out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I put a bit of thought in it. I was gonna build all timber racks and all that, but I still wanted to be able to move things around and not basically be have you know too much because I was my the room was pretty small so I tried to utilize as much space as I can so I found these racks were probably the best suited to this room. But as you so, say too, like after looking at that behind you in a bit more detail, it is super modular. Like yeah. Those- yeah those end pieces make so much sense where you can kind of just, you know, buy an extra end piece and a few rails and all of a sudden you've just doubled your space. Yeah, and you can get drawers for underneath them under the shelves and you can get like little tables that sit on the end so you got like a little workstation on the end kind of thing. So, yeah, they're, okay. they're pretty good. Definitely look into them. <laughs> we're we're going to have to start a Patreon so when I move house that I can start affording some of this <laughs> racket shelving because you're starting to convince me here. It's de- it's definitely cheaper than than buying the um the pre made ones I reckon because I weighed up both options but yeah I, I must oh, have yeah. missed that boat because now I've got a storage unit full of uh, extra shelves and rails and things too because you know they come with us like a, a six shelf kit you only need yeah, three shelves right. or something so yeah, yeah exactly whereas this is you basically buy what you need so yeah it makes it so it's sense. kind of you know yeah and if and if you do buy more and you don't need as many you basically if you when you add on to the rack you just use them there yeah yeah well so, all right yeah. we're gonna have to do some research on this one 
I'll send you some links after. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't you worry. I've already got Bunning saved as a favorite in my uh, my YouTube, my, not my yeah. YouTube search, in my Safari search or whatever here on the phone. So do I. All right. So what's after the drainage layer, mate? Oh, before we get on to that, I want to kind of quickly talk about if you ever used any sort of um, like bulkhead or drainage pipe inside of your terrariums. No, I never did. I didn't use any of that really. I just kind of basically, um, yeah, I had a Miss King set up obviously. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I never, never, never really used that. Yeah, okay. So it's something that I've gotten into recently. I mean, overseas, you see the dart frog guys, quite often they'll be drilling their exoterras and putting like a little bulkhead in the back of them so they can connect like a drainage pipe and yep. kind of really flush the water out of them. Um, yeah. I've kind of gone for a bit more of like a stand pipe essentially. So you imagine just like a 15 mil bit of PVC, kind of just maybe the same sort of depth as what the actual terrarium soil base is going to be. Yeah. And I spin it down into place and in the bottom of the pipe, I just drill a whole bunch of holes so then the water can actually flow freely into the pipe. So, yeah. you know, if you overwater your system or, or you know, let's say, God forbid, you, you miss King stuffs up, which they very rarely do, um, and it floods the actual terrariums, then what can happen is you can actually just get like a little bit of hose or something down into that that pipe and use it as a bit of a siphon pipe and actually siphon the water out of, water out of the bottom. That's something yeah, that's, that I'm kind of preemptively putting in all my terrariums these days. Yeah, especially if you've got the Miss King running and, you know, for some reason that it doesn't turn off, you can drain that water out rather than have the water sit in the bottom. If it does fill up and doesn't go stagnant and essentially, you know, ruin your plants. Yeah, exactly. What are you, do, you, do you reckon you'll give it a crack in the future? Just adding, adding that in as a bit of a safeguard or you reckon you're just going to run with the old faithful? Well, it'll be interesting to see what I do. If if these um if these PVC enclosures are, are pretty good, um, you know, I could always just drill it and put a little small black tap in the front of the of the enclosure. So basically, yeah. I don't need to. I've I've got it there. So similar to what the Darfrog guys do, drill in through the glass and put a little tap in the bottom of it. Yeah. Um, I can just put a little tap ball valve in the front and just basically, if water gets in there, I can just turn it on and drain it out into a little into a bucket. So, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it's PVC, but depending, yeah, depending, yeah. We'll see how we it's go. Not, but, yeah, I wouldn't want to ruin the front of the enclosure like that, though. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm the same because I like everything to look. But then I was, I was thinking of how to get the Miss King to run through and all this and that. So I've been trying to nut through my head of how to get it all to work and this and that. So it'd be interesting to see once I get it to see how uh, what I actually do with it, whether I come through the back with the Miss King, do a little little tube up the top right corner and put the nozzles in the front, which I will do with nozzles in the front, um, yep. whether I just everything will be um, or just go straight through the side. But if I go through the side, then I can't obviously move enclosures around. So maybe if I just go through the back, I can separate the hoses and, and do all that stuff. So, yeah, it'll be... Interesting to see. Whereas with the exoterras, you can just pop a hole in there and miss King through the sides. I mean, through the front corner and run your run your tube along the front. Yeah, but um, obviously I can't do that with these because ideally I, I would probably stack enclosures on top of each other instead of um using a rack like I've got behind me, like I would with exoterras. Yeah, okay. So I know we'll see. So so sorry to get back on this topic. I'm just curious. 
with those um, with those enclosures, do they do they have any like ventilation on the top for your lighting, or are you, are you going to be mounting all your lighting internally? They so everything's done internally on these. Um, yep. There's vents inside, so I will mount everything internally, um, and probably just cover it with like mesh or something like that. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, because they haven't. It's not like yeah, like yeah. It's pretty much. It's almost pretty much like a melamine enclosure, but PVC. So everything with your melamine enclosures, that's all. All your all your fittings are all inside the enclosure. So your light fittings yep. are all inside. Um, everything. So I'll mount everything inside. Whether I decide to cover it with a screen or something, um, or whether it's, I just don't bother. I might even try and put the UV at the front. So you like basically, there's a lip that sits at the front. I yep. might even try and hide the UV in the front there, so it kind of shoots out. One, we'll see. I'll play around with it and see what it looks like. And but heating wise, yeah, I won't. I'll pretty much only have the UV in the enclosure. So because that the I'll probably they still give off a fair bit of heat. So I'm not too mm. obviously the boys don't really need much heat. So I'm not worried about heating elements or anything like that. It's just more so the UV for the dragons and for the plants. So yeah, cool. So it'll be. Um... Interesting to see how you go there. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm keen to see how it turns out. Um, so I'll do the one, and we'll see how we go. Go from there, basically. Yeah, awesome. All right. Well, um, what t- what comes on top of the uh, the drainage layer itself? We need some sort of separation barrier between the soil and the the actual drainage choice. Whether that's you right. Go egg crate or white diffuser or heavy gravel. Oh, or is, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's what's your drainage? Ah, uh, not your drainage. What's your separation layer of choice? I've used a few different types, but nowadays I'm I'm kind of enjoying the fly screen. Um, yep, same. Yeah. Have I've, you I've, tried weed mat? I haven't tried weed mat as such. I have used like different drainage fabrics, but have you yeah. used that? Yeah, never use it. Okay, good to know. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> Basically, the water didn't go through it. Oh, that's a disaster. Yeah, so the soil basically just, yeah, just got so boggy. So I was running the same. So I had basically two identical setups side by side. Yeah. I had the fly screen in one and then I had the, it was a yeah, weed mat in the other, black weed mat. Um, then Miss King system to water the plants. Um, then basically the soil just turned to slush because the water just, there basically there was no airflow coming from underneath yeah through the drainage layer and you know aerating the soil essentially basically just turned to mush and the other enclosure that was set up the exact same but with fly screen was fine so i had to yep. rip all the plants out rip everything out rip all the soil out and put in a new i tried i even tried basically what i did is I, I got a big long knife and pierced holes all through it that helped a little bit but it still wasn't enough so i basically just ripped it all out and started again Sometimes you just need to do that through experimentation too, right? Like it's, yeah, it's exactly that's what half my terrariums have been. That's why I'm kind of replacing them as I kind of find my groove and what I actually want to do inside of them. But yeah. like even oh, a couple of days ago or whatever, I was ripping apart one of the enclosures that I'm going to be uh, recoding or I've started recoding with the tile pointing. And one of the reasons that I ripped it apart anyway, uh, apart from the background aspect, was because I used like pretty much straight coir peat on top of the the drainage layer being fly screen and it was like a double layer of fly screen but the coir peat was so fine 
that as it kind of got watered in and, you know, the, the Miss King's giving everything a good water, it actually drained yep. the Koya peat in through the, the fly screen and helped that kind of build up in the drainage layer where the hydroponic balls are. So I, I wanted to really gut that out and, and start again with some sort of like coarser material on top of that separation layer. But w- one of the other separation layers that I've actually used to, to a pretty good degree, actually, I will say, is like a um, it's like a drainage fabric. I can't remember what it's actually called, but they use it all around like your aggregate or your ag lines around like building properties and stuff like that. So it's like a white kind of, it's like a dense cotton, I want to say. But Yeah, yeah. And they use it for silt traps on drains as well. So basically it catches all the, so if you're on a construction site, they use it over the um, pre-existing drains in the roadways. So basically they cover the, the drain with it and then none of the building debris go through it, none of the dirt, rocks, whatever, and only the water goes through it. Yeah. And you yeah, can buy big rolls of that stuff. So I've it's never pretty, used it, but. It's pretty cheap too. I um, Yeah. I think I, I can't remember what I got it for, but yeah, they're massive rolls of it. I just had it sitting in storage and any time I wanted to do a terrarium, I just cut like a meter square or whatever and bring it home and cut it to size. But yeah. Yeah, I found it worked quite well. A couple of my terrariums now that um, actually my old uh, Yberber leaftail enclosure that was running on that and that drained perfectly fine. Well, enough so that yeah. I've actually been able to hatch out a few hatches out of the tank. So Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's how you know you're doing it right if the eggs are hatching. So. Yeah, it's always a bit of fun when that happens and you go down oh, there and you've great, got a isn't it? few bonus geckos or something. Yeah, I remember the first time it happened to me I because I, I knew she laid eggs and I wasn't too overly fussed about, you know, collecting them and incubating them. Um, and then I walked in and I'm like, I don't feed woodies. What is that walking up the background? I'm like, oh my god, it's a baby leaf tail. I was like, oh, this is unreal. And then <laughs> I just let her. She, she'd lay the eggs, and it wasn't till I ripped that enclosure apart that all the eggshells were in the exact same location. Oh, so wow. she laid her eggs in the exact same spot, basically for yeah, the, basically yeah. Until I cleaned it out, I was like, oh wow, all the eggshells are in the same spot. That's unreal. She Isn't had numerous other places how, she would lay. Yeah. It's funny how animals do that, right? Like even this season, I, I dug up two clutches from the Yberba and they yep. were in the exact same spot. And then I found two geckos, two hatchling geckos walking around in the enclosure. And when I kind of went through and excavated around where I thought the eggshells would be, they were exactly in the same spot. So yeah. I'm not sure if it was the same female because I do have you know quite a few girls in that tank, but yeah, it must have just been the best location in the tank for those eggs to be. So they definitely know what they're yeah. doing. Yeah, definitely. Because what I'd do for some of my leaf tails as well is the ones that I wanted to collect the eggs, I would set up a basically two two pots inside of each other, two plastic pots. So I'd go to the local garden shop, buy a black plastic pot, and then another one and sit it inside it. So, and then I'd bury the first one inside of the, the substrate, basically. So, the back corner, kind of like the way I did the substrate, it starts small on the front and then build up the back. And I'd mm. bury the pot in the substrate and then put a saucer over it, cut a hole in it, and then put some sphagnum moss and all that kind of over the lid. So, that just yep. had a little opening behind the cork bark. And then instead of having to dig the pot out, because I had the two pots inside one another, I just slide the pot out. And then I could oh, get the pot sense. out. Yeah, dig all the eggs out or the egg, the, you know, find the eggs and then slide the pot back in. And basically I didn't disturb any of the soil or anything. So it was kind of real handy. And then that way I I knew where the eggs were because they'd pretty much go in there 
95% of the time. So, but what I might do first is set it up in the same enclosure with the same logs before I did it in, say, the bioactive setup. So she'd yep. lay eggs and I go, okay, no, she's going to lay eggs in there. Then I'd set it up all the bioactive and everything else. And then basically she'd continually lay eggs in there. That's a cool little tip for everyone at home though. I've never actually thought of doing something like that. So once you kind of, you, you get your gecko's lay spot down, once you kind of figure out where she wants to go, you kind of set up a little egg lay box exactly where she's going to do it and then you can just rip it out and easily, because that's a pain. It's an absolute pain in the ass to go through and dig yep. up everything around there. You know, you're disturbing plants and roots and all the rest of it. Yep. Not to Especially mention because some would animal. lay, some would lay right near the root ball of some of the plants, and that was some of the some of the leaf tails I had. I was like, oh, I'm, they're the ones I just decided to leave because trying to dig them out, I was always worried that I was going to split the eggs or you know damage the eggs trying to get them out because they were in like the worst spot, the right in the back corner, tucked in behind the branches, tucked in behind the plants, you know. So I just left them, and it was always good every time I'd see babies in the enclosure. There's probably no better feeling, I reckon, or maybe maternal incubation, but um, but yeah. Yeah, I think the first time that that I uh, did like the whole hatch out your, your own lizards in an enclosure was with the gill and I. Man, that really caught me off guard too. Hey, I remember coming down into the wow. garage and uh, the, the enclosure that I had, it had kind of like a swing glass door on the front of it, but I'd put in this, uh, it's like an extra barrier essentially in the back of it just like just behind the glass door and that was just basically to be a bit of like a soil dam just so you could actually keep all the soil and everything in behind there and in between that bit of timber that was there and the glass front door i saw this i thought it was a garden skink at the time and i was like what the hell's a little garden skink doing inside of this vivarium i was like you know and i'm closer and still alive (laughs) yeah exactly especially with the gill and i I was like i was kind of thinking like how'd that get in there geez i hope they don't get worms um yeah yeah but yeah, on closer inspection, I was like, oh man, that's a baby gill and I. And I was like freaking out. So I got a bucket ready because I was like, this thing's going to do the bolt as soon as I open the door. And I opened the door and four dropped out. So three were kind of hiding down the bottom where there was like another bit of timber in the frame of the glass door. And I've just gone, shit, you know, I <laughs> scooped yeah. them all into a bucket. And I'm like, oh my God, I got four gill and I here. And then over the next- So did you, did you know she laid eggs in there in that enclosure? Oh, she's a gillinoy. You never see her. Yeah, that's true. They do hide yeah. a lot. My my female's always been like that. She's kind of like one of those gillinoy that she she's actually better now in a bit of her older age. But she would kind of like stick like the front third of her body out, but you'd never see yep. her hips. You know, if I if I'd seen the hips and seen the bulge, I would have been like, oh yeah, man, that's oh, she's crazy. crazy. Yeah, yeah. But the thing was, it's like over the next two or three days, another three popped out. And I found them running wow. around the enclosure. So I actually had seven gill and I pop out of the ground. And I remember seeing them um, one, of, one of the days, two of them were sitting on top of their father's back. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, geez, this is going to go one of two ways. They're going to bolt and he's going to grab one or, you know, yep. they're going to just disappear somewhere inside of here. But the thing that kind of astounded me is like, I mean, leaf tails have a pretty long uh, incubation period, but, you know, gill and yes. I are kind of up that sort of 100 to 120 days on average. So... Yeah, you know, you're talking so that's three a long or four time. months. It's a long yeah. time to have eggs cooking in a really hot, steamy box. Was that bioactive? That enclosure, or was that just like a like a? I wouldn't say bioactive, but say like a, a dirt sand mix kind of. Yeah, so th- that enclosure is what I'd probably refer to like a naturalistic, naturalistic. enclosure. Yeah, so yeah. you're not got live plants. You don't really have a cleanup crew per se. Yeah. Um, 
that one kind of had a mix of soil in there that would have been like one part coir peat, one part sand, and about one part crushed granite. I'm a real fan of this crushed granite that I can get from the landscape shop. And it kind of turns yeah. that mix into a bit of a oh, – it's a good mix for monitors because they can actually burrow around in it and it holds a burrow really well. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it holds humidity too if you're pouring a bit of water in there. And that particular box, I was spraying it down once a week for the gill and I just because – you know, every now and then they get a bit dry, so you help the sheds off. Yeah, but yeah, it's um, it's definitely a learning curve. I, I've, I was half tempted this year when I got my gill and I female to lay a clutch. I, I almost just wanted to seal the box, like just put a different lid on it without a hole in yep. it, and just see what happened. If they'd hatch in there, yeah, yeah. But I was like, this is probably the only gill and I clutch I'm getting this year. I, I want a bit more control. Yep. So, yeah, I think next year. Next year, if I get some gill and I laying, I, I should hopefully have two, potentially three pairs that I could have laying next season. I, I'll definitely experiment on one of them and see if I can lock them into a box and see if I can hatch them inside a lay box or something in the enclosure. Yeah, that'd be pretty interesting to see. Bit of fun. Another sidetrack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah another sidetrack, but that kind of leads us into the, almost the next topic pretty much is um, soil mixes. Yeah. Yeah, so um, what, what did you end up using for your stuff? I would um, basically I there was a there's a big garden center ten minutes from my house so I'd go down to the garden center um, they did their own um, organic potting soil mix so I'd do organic potting soil um, sand a little yep. bit of um, c- uh, cocoa peat and sphagnum moss and I'd also throw in some um, uh, charcoal yeah cool. But what I'd do as well is to stop some of the finer stuff getting through the fly screen. I'd actually do a little layer of like scattered layer of charcoal on the fly screen. Yep. And then basically chuck it down. I'd also put in a little bit, couple of chunks of um, like um, coconut husk, like like bark chunks almost. Yep. In the mix as well, just so basically, so it didn't compact down too much. It was that's where the sphagnum moss and the and that kind of helped keep it loose as well. Yeah, I can't say that I've played around too much with like sphagnum in my soil mixes personally, but yeah, that's probably something that I should be trying to be honest because you see it done everywhere. But I don't know when I see animals digging it around and stuff, I just kind of get like, oh, there's a chunk of sphagnum moss kicked up here. You know, it doesn't look yeah. as yeah. natural to me. You know, yeah. So I did it just mainly, yeah, because I I just followed and it worked for me. So I just basically stuck with it. Um, but I'd find that the cleanup crew would eat it as well. So, yeah. Well, I mean, um, it definitely serves a purpose. Yeah, yeah. What about uh, you? What What's your preferred mix? I'm still trying to work it out, to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm playing around with a lot of stuff. I've done a lot of tanks where you know it's been pretty uh, queer peat heavy. Um, yeah. And I haven't really enjoyed those so much just because, as I said earlier, it does get fine. It does go down into the drainage layer and become a bit boggy. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I've been playing around with, like, uh, you know, topsoils. So you can actually yeah. buy, like, top topsoil from most garden centers. And that that stuff's pretty good because it doesn't really contain any fertilizers or, or or too much nutrient. It's just kind of like a bulking agent, basically. But it's mm-hmm. it's quite uh, reasonable for drainage as well. Usually it's got a bit of sandy sandy. Uh, loaminess to it so yeah i generally mix it up between that you know if i'm doing like a rainforest terrarium or something i might use like an organic potting mix or something just to kind of add a little bit of uh you know nutrient into it um but 
yeah, I pretty much, when I'm experimenting with the native plants these days, I am using a native plant mix that the the native plant nursery just up the road from me uses. It does actually contain a little bit of those fertilizer pellets, but yeah, the, the, the ladies that I was talking to there, they're like, you know, we've got our hands in this stuff all day, every day. You know, they're pretty much not using gloves. You know, they're, they're not concerned about it at all. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking, you know, if it's not a burrowing species or they're not burrowing down into it very often or, you know, going to eat it or anything like that, then I'm, I'm kind of playing around with that as kind of like the layer just above that separation barrier. So then the plants can still have their root ball in that kind of deeper section. It might still get some of that fertilization uh, from yeah. that. But as I said, it's a, a bit of an experimentation. So you, know, you don't all have to run out and try it just in case I fail miserably. Yeah. But, uh, so that's where I, I think I found this, the sphagnum moss might have come in a bit of handy as well. As it get decomposed kind of over time, it was also acted as like a fertilizer yeah, as well. Okay. So. But I mean, most of my setups were just rainforest setups anyway, so I didn't really have any kind of semi-arid or, or any other setups bioactive. I just pretty much only had rainforest setups. So yeah, I, I think so I did, didn't experiment too much with soil mixes. I, I definitely think like the rainforest side of things for these, uh, I'd not to shoot anyone down, but I think it's a bit easier to kind of nail out. Um, and some of this arid stuff like i'm i'm 100%. struggle <laughs> struggle street with a few of these terrariums but just trying to learn like the amount of plants that will work the sort of water content they need or don't need yep. um man, I'm there's some worried. really good facebook pages as well online for um for you know your bioactive setups we might even chuck a link to some of them i reckon because yeah, that's not a bad idea yeah especially if you're trying to do some of the arid setups i never really tried because Basically, I didn't really keep many arids. I did, but, you know, I didn't really set them up bioactive. I had them more naturalistic than um, bioactive. But the soil mixes, there's like there's yeah. so many different types of soil mixes, but it, it also comes down to what's available for you and what, you know, what you use and what works for you. There's no one size fits all almost. Well, there kind of is, but when you start talking arid and semi-arid, you know, it comes down to your enclosure setup as well as to what works. Yeah, something something that I'm definitely learning too is, you know, just because it works for one group of plants doesn't mean it's going to work for another. So whether it's both arid species, but if they're on different sides of the world, you know, like if you're using yep. cactus, like most cactus are probably, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not 100% sure, but they probably need something different to what some of our natives need. So, you know, at the moment I'm learning that, you know, our natives absolutely hate phosphorus. So, you know, I'm there going, oh, this plant looks a little bit sad and like putting like, you know, some fertilizer onto it, like some uh, animal safe fertilizer or something. I'm going, oh, geez, I don't know the phosphorus content of that. And then all of a sudden they just yep. melt away and you're just like, oh, that was probably that work. <laughs> yeah, so another, another trip to the nursery. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's all a learning curve at the end of the day. So that's why I went with that, um, that native nursery soil. I'll, you know, they've got it in every single native plant there. Yeah, I'm just trying to nut it out and trying to figure out what works. Yeah, well, that's right. That's well, that's basically part of keeping in general. Really, is find out what works for you. There's no one one size fits all method of keeping for for everyone. It comes down to where you are, you set up, basically your room set up, how you, your enclosures are set up. Yeah, no and you don't see you don't see too many people out there doing arid setups with Australian native plants either. So it's no. 
I'm really struggling to find any sort of information on it. I mean, I've seen like naturalistic setups with um, like dead, dried grass, but but yeah, you don't like you don't really see too many Australian arid setups, really, do you? No, at all. I don't think actually. I don't think I've seen one using well, using. Yeah, even this um this little Strophera ciliaris aberrans enclosure just next to me here. This is kind of like my first attempt of an arid arid setup and. I originally put in a, a species of grevillea that unfortunately bit the dust pretty quick. And even yeah. now I'm starting to put a, well, I've got a, I forget the, the Latin name to it, but it's called a common everlasting. If you imagine kind of like a small little greenish shrub that has like these beautiful little yellow pom-pom flowers on top of it, absolute yeah. awesome looking plant. But as I put it in, it slowly wilted away after maybe two weeks. It was starting to look pretty sad. And I was just like, oh, start pumping a bit of water into it, you know, just kind of playing around with what works. And then all of a sudden it's kind of sprung back to life. So I'm hoping that it's just kind of like a bit of initial shock of the shock. transplant or something like that to see, yep. you know, if it gets its kind of roots out there and, and gets into it, then hopefully it'll kind of come good and bounce good and hopefully it doesn't die because it looks really cool. It looks like a little desert flower in, in this terrarium and off the, the red rock walls yeah. and things, it looks really it's sick. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, it's all, it's basically, you know, and the other thing too is some of the plants too. It could come down to um, UV levels as well, types of UV and all that stuff. It couldn't just just be, um, you know, the soil. It could also be the, the UV. They might not like the um, the UV we're giving them as well. Yeah, that's true. I mean, on, on this particular terrarium, I'm using a, a 7% kind of shade dweller UVB um, fixture from Get Your Pet Right. Um, yeah. You know, the plants themselves, they might like something a bit higher. You know, they might want like a, a 10 to 14% or something like that that might make them grow a little bit happier. But, yeah, you know, I can't, yeah. can't exactly blast the geckos with that either. So it's a bit of a fine balance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, well, that's the other thing too. Is it's not just a, a setup for um for plants. It's a setup for the animal as well. So you've got to keep the animal in, animal in mind when you set up the enclosure. Yeah, like you said, you don't want to be blasting it with a 10 UVB for the plants if, you know, the animal's not going to tolerate the 10 UVB. And no, and it's not only the reptiles we're talking about either. It's also the, the cleanup crew there too. So it's a whole exactly. ecosystem that you've got to pull together. That's right. Yeah, it's definitely fun. Like there's nothing better than walking into a room and opening the enclosure and it smells like the earth, I reckon. I love it. Yeah. Yep. My wife doesn't so much, but I do. It's better than the smell of feces <laughs> yeah that's true that's yeah. very true especially monitors when you got them nice and hot and they've just done a nice fresh one in the corner and you've walked into the room and it just hits you in the face when you walk in yeah well i got that this afternoon when i walked home and loki my big mangrove monitor he must have let loose something savage because i walked in there and it hit me like a freight train it's like that, especially when it's hot in the middle. There's nothing worse than the middle of the summer. I remember yeah. when I used to keep all my stuff in my room. I remember come home from, you know, my mate's place, walk in the door, open the door, boom, it's like a punch in the face. I go, someone's definitely done something. Sure enough, under the heat light, there's this big one sitting in the corner. And then the room <laughs> stunk for like three hours. I was like, oh, nothing worse, nothing worse, especially if you're sleeping next to it, you know, it's in the room. Like you clean it, but it's just the air smells. <laughs> yeah <laughs> at least i only keep little geckos in here it's not so yeah, bad well that's true yeah and you got your fish tank too so something yeah. else to look at yeah 
Yeah, no, I enjoy but the fish. Do you put anything else in in your layers, like any any like yucca mulch or anything else? Yeah, sometimes in depending spoils, on the right? kind of setup. Yeah, depending yeah. on the setup, I'll I'll kind of play around. So, kind of like what you were saying with the sphagnum moss, I might actually kind of blend the eucalyptus mulch through there, just to kind of add a bit more of a mulch layer through there for the the cleanup crew to kind of devour. And you know, that's yeah. really good stuff like your isopods and your slaters and that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, apart from that, like uh, I don't, I, I I use charcoal occasionally, but I haven't seen like a massive benefit for or against. So that's yeah. just my my personal experience with it. So I don't I don't really bother with it so much these days. Or you know, when I'm t- pouring the springtails or something in there, then I might kind of tip out half Chuck the bit in. yeah half the charcoal from that. I don't really kind of go out and buy a thing of charcoal to purposely put it in every terrarium. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I kind of mix it up a little bit to to cap off the the soil mixes. So on the top, yeah, just to kind of um, you almost stop the animals coming in contact with the kind of the nutrient layer, if you want to call it that. In particular, if you are using something that does have fertilizers in there, then you know I don't want the animals contacting that as they walk around the terrarium every night or or whatever they're doing. So yeah, I'll kind of play around with. Um, you know, like sand or or even that crushed granite that I was talking about. You know, I really yeah. like that stuff to to kind of it, it. It just dries like nice and kind of clay like, so you can kind of almost have it as like a permanent barrier above the soil itself. Yeah, it looks good too. That um, that crushed granite adds like another layer to basically the look of the enclosure as well. I've never used it, but I've seen I've seen some of your videos with it, and it looks really good. The, the only downside is, is you do have to be kind of careful with it, I find, because it can really retain moisture. So, you know, if you're going to be watering a particular area, it's almost better to kind of have something a bit more like, like the eucalyptus mulch, for example, will actually drain better than the crushed granite will. Yep. So if you kind of got a plant there that you're going to water, maybe it's best to kind of use something like a mulch or or even just your normal soil mix or a bit of sand or something perhaps around that because the crushed granite, yeah. if that gets wet, it almost holds it. Um, and doesn't let the water soak into the, the roots. Yeah, and it kind of just creates like a bit of a – like I like it because it's a bit like a clay topping, like it's quite firm to touch. Um, mm. And then for, then for some animals, like my gill and I love it. They'll get straight down into it. Like I actually caught three of them yesterday. They were completely buried inside their enclosure. Their enclosure's got nothing but sand and crushed granite but it just yeah. held a burrow perfectly for them. And it was only in like four centimeters of substrate, but I had three, you know, almost full-size gill and I completely underneath this and I couldn't even tell that they were there. I was looking in the logs going, where are you? <laughs> they were under Yeah, because that's usually where they are, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, I've never tried that, but that, yeah, especially in your monitor enclosures, that'd look unreal. Yeah, like where I get it from um, – Australian native landscapes. Like I've got one just up the road here, which is pretty handy. It's not mm. deer either. It's like eight or nine bucks for a 20 kilo bag. It does come yeah. wet. So that kind of sucks. You're paying for a lot of water content. But uh, yeah. I just chuck it in the backyard on a hot day under a, on a tarp, let it dry out dry a bit. Out. Um, but yeah, it, it comes in a variety of colors too. So you can kind of get like a, like they call it a gold, but it's almost kind of like your, your normal kind of sandy look, which is really cool for kind of like your more uh terrariums based on stuff like around you or i so i use them like the brown tree snakes enclosures yeah. um some of the leafies so kind of like things that are up and down the east coast of australia yeah yeah um 
Whereas then you can get like the pink crushed granite, which is a little bit more red. So that's really cool for like your your monitor species and stuff. I find or anything that's a little bit more internal inside the even you your know. um your white verbal probably too the the granite. Yeah, yeah. So I, I used a bunch of that gold crushed granite with their their recent enclosure yeah. build, which I reckon came off a treat. Yeah, but yeah. What about you? Did you use any sort of capping layers, or did you just kind of use that straight soil mix? Pretty much just use a straight soil mix, and then. Once I had the soil mix down, I basically just leaf litter, and that's pretty much all I did. Pretty yep. nice. Basically, real simple. Basically, soil mix, one mix, no nutrient layer, nothing like you've done. I basically just did have my soil mix filled up with a couple centimetres worth of soil, yep. um, and then just basically leaf litter. I'd go – I've got a, a, a little like a, a bush – I pretty much live right in the bush anyway. So I'd go for you know walk in the bush and go and get a bag of – leaf litter basically so i knew there was no like weed killers pesticides or anything sprayed by the council or anything because it was a, it was a fair walk in the bush get a bag of leaf yep. litter and pour it in the enclosure i wouldn't even bake it in the sun i wouldn't do anything because why i figured is if it's that far in the bush um you know I'm, there's no nasties in it basically a lot of the stuff that would be in the leaf litter will benefit benefit the the soil layer anyway so i you know, while I was out there, I'd look for some um, some more cleanup crew as well and just chuck all that in. So I figured there'd be little microscopic organisms that would be on these leaves that would benefit the soil anyway as well. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Very, very true. You just you- got to make sure you're not, you know, going down to your local park and just taking a pile of leaves out of the local park where they might have, you know, weed sprayed the grass for sporting events or something like that. So you got to kind of have to be, you know, a little bit wary of where you get the leaves, leaves from. A little bit of common sense goes a long way, I think. But um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've definitely treated some of my leaf litter, uh, probably a little bit differently. Like I've done it your way as well, where I've just gone in and collected a whole bunch and gone. Yeah, you know, the old she'll be right, mate, sort of yeah. approach. Um, but I have also done the whole, you know, collect it all in a big plastic bag, like a big black black garbage bag or something like that, and you know, you Put stick it, it on sun. your. Dr- stick it in the sun on your driveway or something for a day and, you know, kind of let it just bake so anything in there potentially dies. I've also done the same and chucked it in my rodent freezer for like a couple of weeks. Um, yep. Kind of just depends where I collect it from to go, what, what yeah. am I going to do with this? So, yeah, you got to be a little bit smart. You know, like I've got a a, a tree out the front here. It's, uh drops leaves all the time. And even the other day, I just raked up a whole bunch of them and stuck them into a bag and, I've just chucked it straight into the enclosures because I know what's going in there because it's our yard. So yeah, exactly, I know nobody's not nobody's using any sort of snail baits or anything like that that I'm raking up and putting inside of enclosures. You haven't uh, lined oven baking trays with bits and pieces and baked them in the oven, have you? <laughs> no, nah, never. <laughs> never. I've seen all that. I've seen people, you yeah, know, like so, uh, sticks and logs wood and, and stuff. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if if that's what you want to do, do it for your piece of your own peace of mind, but the same time too if you source it from you know a relatively you know out there area that's not going to come into contact with all those um chemicals you should be fine i will tell you a story here though that's something that i've experienced recently that's been a bit of a pain, <laughs> in, pain in the ass so yeah. i went i went out into this this area near me this big bit of bit, bit of bush and uh i found this perfect log for loki's enclosure you've probably seen me struggling with it on youtube anyway um yeah but yeah, when collected this big monster bit of gum, and I brought it home, you know, it was pretty much the length of my car, and uh, cut it up into the kind of size that I want, 
get it inside the enclosure finally, only to discover that there's like a massive ants nest inside of it. So now I've got these, yeah, I don't even right. know what species of ant, that's some sort of black ant. And uh, yep. yeah, <laughs> I just see Loki like basking <laughs> on this heck? log with this like little hollow next to him where there's all these ants kind of walking in and out, collecting God knows what from where. So yeah, now I've got a bit of an ant infestation. So you do have to kind of be a little bit cautious little about bit. what you're bringing home. Uh, yeah, so. I mean, with with your logs, you can just soak them in water for an hour, and all those things will come out. To be fair, this log would have needed a pool. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, fair. That is a big enclosure, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you so that one. it was not going to fit in a bathtub either. So yeah, that's yeah, uh, if you can soak it, that's probably the easiest way to draw any sort of like things like ants or other bugs or anything out of there. Um, yeah, if it was small enough that I could have fit it in the turtle pond, I probably would have done that. But yeah, yeah. This, I think this log was is about three meters long when I brought it home, so it was a pretty yeah, right, pretty big bit of wood. Didn't get them all through your car. Yeah, it's an old Commodore. If they're in there, they're in there. I don't really mind too much. I'm not fussy about it. It's only a two grand beater. That'd be an interesting drive. Ants biting your feet, <laughs> mate. I spend money on reptiles, not cars. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Have you ever done anything like that where you've brought in something that you you weren't expecting? I've got a few other stories about that. Um, let me think. I had ants, but not not as bad as that. Um, that was just from a log. Um, but yeah, not really. No, not nothing too bad because most of the sticks I collect, uh, you know, they're not like. Yeah, they're not they're not really bigish branches because a lot of the stuff I kept was small, so I never really yeah. had you know big sized logs and everything else. Um, but yeah, no, I had a couple of ants here and there, but that wasn't too much of an issue. But I mean, I've had ants come in into my room and then climb into the enclosures as well. So, oh, something that I have had happen. I'm sure you would have had this happen, especially if you're collecting your own leaf litter. Um, Every now and then you look inside of a terrarium only to discover that it's full of uh, mushrooms. Oh, I've had that, yeah. yeah. I've had mushrooms, but they they generally sprout, then die within like 24 hours. Yeah. That's kind of cool thing though. I, yeah. Well, that, that's a good indication for healthy soil, healthy soil as well is mushroom growth. So if you've got mushrooms growing, your soil is healthy. Oh, there you go. I've learned something new today. A lot of my yeah. terrariums have mushrooms, so I'm doing something right. Just don't eat them. <laughs> <laughs> but um actually in saying that i did have a spider outbreak so i take that back i did have a sp- spider outbreak in one of my enclosures um i'm not too familiar with different types of spiders but i from what research i could do i believe they were related to the redback they're in the same okay. family maybe they look like a redback but they weren't they weren't black they were like a Almost like a purpley color. I'm not purple. Like, yeah, they, they pretty much looked exactly like a red back, but not as big. Yeah. So, I had okay. an outbreak in them. But once they got bigger, the geckos just started picking them off anyway. So, it's kind of the handy. Food. It's the handy part about having uh, insectivores. They, yeah. they take anything they can get. Yeah. So, that was a bit of a pain because they started going through other enclosures as well. But, I mean, that that was not too bad. So, but yeah, the geckos just started eating them anyway. So that wasn't too much of an issue. So, I've recently found a few little tiny snails inside of a few of my terrariums. Like I'm talking, oh, like 
tiny, like three or four mil across. Like there must be only juvenile snails, but yeah, I've just seen a few of those kind of walking around in a couple of my terrariums. Yeah. Um, I also had this massive caterpillar that I don't even know where it came from. I did nothing to this terrarium for, I want to say, better part of eight months. Yeah, and all you of a sudden, that picture actually. Yeah, it's a really pretty caterpillar. I don't yeah, know really what nice. it was. It was really nice. It was like, for memory, it was like a black or a purple with like these beautiful little yellow stripes. Yellow, or something one, like yeah. Yeah. Um, but he was in there chomping away on all this monstera and stuff that I had in this leaf tail enclosure. So unfortunately, he had to go. Yep. But uh, yeah, I was lucky that that terrarium was being torn apart anyway, just in case he had any other counterparts inside of there. But, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you get your goods and your bads, but. I mean, what I had wasn't too bad. Your ant outbreak was probably a little bit worse than than my spiders, but that was yeah. That's that's a pretty bad outbreak. They're getting into like my woody colony and and everything, trying oh, to steal bad, the carrot. Yeah, but of course they get into the woody colony and then they can't climb back out over the fluon. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they're just all accumulating in, in there. <laughs> yeah. Eating the food and eating little yes. Yeah. They are. They can be a pain. I've actually had ants. Um, yeah, come in one time and actually get into one of my hatchling strophirus enclosures, just a little little container, and actually kill the strophirus. Oh wow! Yeah, that's not it what was you like. No, so I came. I was out one day, and then because I, I used to come out every night, check the animals, feed, um, do everything, basically chill. Then yeah, and then the next next night I came in and there was a dead animal in there with ants on it. So I'm just assuming that. Um, I had ants come in to that enclosure previously, cleaned it all out, moved it into a different location. Thought maybe there was something under it that they were trying to get to. Yeah. Moved this, moved the same little container over, and then went back into the same container. And uh, yeah, so that, that one sucked, but but yeah, no, but that wasn't because dude. I bought a branch, and that's just they they came in from outside. You could see you could follow the trail out through the door. Yeah. There's not much you can do to stop that either. Like you can put down your ant sands and stuff, but it doesn't always fix the problem. Yeah, exactly. Especially if they're in your walls or anything else. So Yeah. Little buggers. Yep. All right. So, yeah, we've talked a bit about leaf litter and that's kind of like the almost like the final layer on top of your actual soil and everything there. Um, probably the next thing that you're going to be actually adding into your actual substrate as such would be some form of cleanup crew. Yep. So, what kind of animals did you use for your cleanup crew? I mainly use springtails. Um, so, the organic soil that I I would I would get from the nursery actually, I never ever collected worms like earthworms, yep. but they would be in every single one of my enclosures. So, I think they may have been in the soil I'd gotten. Um, so, I'd had earthworms, um, springtails, and uh, slaters. Yep, and that was yeah. pretty much it. But the slaters, I could never, could never get them to breed. I just basically go to the backyard and just look for them and chuck them in. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Hey, like um, I've almost found that when I've tried to breed them in the past, they haven't want to wanted to breed, and then in other instances where they've been in an enclosure, they've just gone mental and they've yep. just gone. Like absolutely crazy. Like I had one of my Gillen's enclosures set up temporarily. It was just basically eucalyptus mulch. I think that was all I was using as the substrate. And of course, these these kind of like little slaters or isopods, as a lot of people overseas would know them as, they love 
mulch. Like they absolutely get into the wood. Like they, mm. they're, they're also referred as wood lice here, aren't they? I'm pretty I think sure so. Are. Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, so I must look into that. I just call, I've always called them slaters. So it's a little they roll up into a little ball and. Well, see, there's two different types. I don't. Were you just using the roll up type? Yeah, the ones that are in my yard. Yeah, so I've got this other little one that's like it's like half the size as the old roly polies as we used to call them. Um, yeah. They're they're kind of like a, a almost a bit flatter, um, and they don't do that roll up kind of trick. So. They're the ones that I predominantly use personally. I get the yeah. rolling rolling ones from outside occasionally, but yeah, the other smaller ones, I find that they're way easier to breed. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, I've kind of got them set up in this. It's like a, just a, like a large plastic tub, not too much ventilation on there either, and I've got yeah. kind of like a, a deep kind of soil mix that's maybe, I don't know, four to six inches deep or thereabouts. And then on top of there, I've just basically got a whole layer of mulch and like all these little bark slabs and bits and pieces. And then once once every now and then when I remember, I just put in a few few kind of sprinkles of oats and a chunk of carrot whenever I'm feeding the woodies or whatever. Yeah. And they seem to breed pretty readily like that. So yeah. I don't know I tried to breed anything. But I, I just couldn't get them to do it. But I was I was kind of lucky. Every time I'd need some, I'd just go to that layer and there was a couple there. So I'd just chuck them into the enclosure. I think they may have bred in the enclosures because – I never like there was always some in the enclosures, but yeah, yeah. I never, I can never could get them to breed in an enclosure like their own little basically tub. But springtails, they just basically, if you yeah. can't breed springtails, there, I suppose probably it comes down to temperature as well. But they would just breed like yeah. I just pour some in, do another culture, separate them, and I just had multiple ones going at different times. So I was never, never short on springtails. They're, they're, they're pretty easy to breed, so they're, they're always yeah. kind of like a staple here. Um, yeah. I, I find that you actually have to harvest springtails somewhat readily to kind of keep the cultures going as well. Yeah, I think they that's get where... stagnant almost. If you left them, they'd, it's like yeah. they'd, they'd almost get stagnant and then basically all die and kill each other. Whereas if you yeah. start breaking the enclosure, the, not the enclosure, if you just started breaking the little colonies apart, you know, putting some in your enclosure and separating them, then those two ones that you separated would take off yep yeah it's kind of crazy how quickly they reproduce like i I remember not too long ago i um i gave a colony or or i sold a little colony onto uh, one of my mates cam uh and he took them home i think that's when we had the big heat wave hit the heat wave kind of came through and cooked all of mine yeah and i turned around to him and i was like yeah is there any chance that you you know have some that you would be able to buy back off your take off your whatever And he's like, oh, yeah, I've got like 12 colonies now, like absolutely cranking. So he just bought up a couple of his kind of like, you know, subpar colonies or whatever that weren't doing so well and just gave yeah. them to me. He was like, hey, this will be enough to get you started. And before I knew it, like within, I think that's only been about a month or two now, like I'm back yeah. up to 14, 14 full colonies or something. So yeah, well, I've got stacks, just, stacks going on. Did you, did you set yours up with charcoal and water? Yeah, yeah. So it's just charcoal and and dechlorinated water. I just made sure yeah. I just used a bit of prime in there. Um, yep. Yeah, so it's basically like maybe five mil of water, maybe six, yeah, five to 10 mil of water, then probably about 30 to 45 mil of charcoal. So it's kind of like the top of the yeah. charcoal. It's nice and dry. Dry, but and the then, bottom's yeah. nice and wet. Yeah, so they can really choose where they want to be. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I just sprinkle in a bit of powdered yeast once or twice a week when I remember or depending on how many animals are in there and they just kind so of I feed just off use that. rice. 
I just fed them rice. So I just drop in, in mine, I just drop in a couple of grains of rice here and there and they just feed off the rice. So the rice would kind of go like a, like almost like a little, like almost get mold on it and they'd eat the mold on the rice and eat the rice. Yeah, same thing as the yeast really. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, but they're basically, if you can't find cultures on anyone, you can, a lot of the pet stores have them now. So you can just go and buy some, some springtails and basically set up your own and start breeding your own and not have to keep buying them from pet shops. Yeah, it's one of those things that I've tried selling online a few times, but depending on where people are buying them from, like the it depends on whether they last in postage. Yeah, so they can exactly be a little right. bit they can be a little bit difficult to ship, but yeah, you know, I usually don't have a drama if somebody wants to pick up a colony or whatever, and they're local or whatever. I'm happy to. Yeah, help especially well. with the, the warmer temperatures and some of the couriers we've got getting around at the moment. So they they just wouldn't last. There'd be nothing worse than sending them to someone and they're not making it when they get there well that's pretty much exactly what happened to my mate cam like i sent him yeah. down to him I, I thought i'd done everything right packaging wise and mm. you know they didn't last i think he got like three springtails by the time they got to him so i don't know what happened in between him and that yeah so and then he ended up driving up from i think he's down like albion parkway so he's probably about two two and a half hours south from me and he's just like bugger it i'll drive up to to grab them off you and they'll know they're alive. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So a bit of a mission for springtails, but unfortunately they're a little hard to come by sometimes here in Australia. You got to get the right yeah, shop. That's right. You get the right shop and they'll be there, and then six months you'll be able to get whatever you need, and then after that you just they won't be there, and then they'll be there. And well, I'm pretty lucky. The one of the, my local pet shop, Jetty Pets, they've always got like a good supply of springtails and all that stuff. So they're nice. That's and pretty close, good. So. Yeah, but um. I, that's a real good pet shop, anyone that's up on the Central Coast. Check those guys out up at Long Jetty there. So that's um, Cindy Jackson. She's yeah. one, of, one yep. of the owners there, I believe. Um, yeah. She does, uh, from memory, she does a lot of her kind of like bigger frogs and stuff in bioactive enclosures, I, I believe. Yeah. I could be wrong. I, th- but- I think I saw somewhere on her page maybe that she's um, doing a nice outdoor enclosure or something for some frogs as well. That'd be cool. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, that's a really good pet shop. They've, they, um, yeah, I used to buy a lot of stuff from there when I had all my stuff. That's where I got most of my um, jungle dawns from. So, yeah, cool. She'd order them in for me. So, that's pretty handy. Oh, good on you, Cindy. Yeah. I think I've uh, actually my original uh, Latoria Chloris is, I got them from Cindy a few years ago now. But yeah, yeah. No, she's a lovely lady. Worth yeah. the weight and gold. Well, oh, definitely, definitely. They got some amazing frogs too. Yeah, I mean, uh, what's what's the page that she runs? I think it's OCD Reptiles. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you yeah, guys um, want to see, yeah, if you want to see a good variety of Australian reptiles, especially if you're into like little geckos and frogs and you know small yeah. skinks and just r- random bits and pieces, they're a good page to follow. Yeah, even um, I think yeah, she, she I think that's where I saw the picture of that um build she was doing but definitely give that page a follow and they've got some amazing stuff yeah right so what what other parts of cleanup crew so we've kind of covered springtails and we've also covered pretty much covered your isopods so as we said you could probably collect a lot of your isopods from behind the garden or in your garden um yeah yeah pretty much lift up any sort of like log or anything that you find and you're pretty much guaranteed to find these guys hiding in under there just have a bucket handy or a little container or something so you can collect them up pick them off yeah and worms worms 
Worms are kind of like an unsung hero, I think. You know, nobody Definitely. kind of thinks of worms. They just talk about springtails and then your isopods or your slaters. Definitely. Nobody gives worms a go. See, I they were just in my soil, so I never went out of my way to get the worms, but mm. they were always in there. Um, but the good thing is, is they aerate the soil. So when they're cruising through doing their thing, they're aerating your soil, so it's not, you know, getting compacted down. And mm. all the other cleanup crew can essentially, you know, get in there as well and eat whatever's there. All tunnel behind it. Yeah. Yeah. They um they also fertilize the soil too with their poo. Exactly. So it's kind of a you know Two double whammy. Yeah. yeah. They're definitely uh, probably one of my favorite cleanup crew types. So I I've, I've been um you get these ones, I think they're called the European Nightcrawler, if I'm not mistaken. They're like a massive earthworm. Like they're seriously yeah, like huge. A, yeah, big fifteen centimeter sort of thing when they get big. I actually bred yeah. them for a little little while here. I set up like a little mini worm farm. Um Oh yeah. That's a good idea. I never, never thought of that. Yeah, it worked pretty good. I think I was just a little bit too neglectful, to be honest. I just had too much going on. Um, yeah, but you could even do your co- a compost bin as well. Like if you've got a compost bin and you're a regular yep. composter, there's a oh. there's a real good cleanup crew right there. And plus you're composting your own waste as well. So killing two birds with one stone. Yeah. And then you know what's going into your worms as well. So then you know what's going exactly. into your terrariums, you know. So yeah, full circle. Full yeah, circle that's worm, right. Worm talk. Exactly. Yeah, so... I mean, that's one option is if you do set them up for breeding yourself in your own sort of compost heap, then that's really good. But um, most nurseries will actually sell like boxes of worms too. So you can kind of go and spend 30, 40, 50 bucks on a big big box of worms. And especially if yeah. you've got a whole bunch of terrariums, then you can kind of spread them out and amongst it. Yeah, I know, and uh, then they'll, they'll breed for you as well. So that's one bonus. Yeah. And you know what? It's also a good food source for a lot of your animals. Like if you get your worms going in your Boyd's Forest Dragon enclosure, they'll go mental for that. Yeah. As soon as those heads pop out, they go nuts for them, especially the angle heads do as well. So, you know, it's pretty it's pretty good to see. Yeah. It's uh, definitely a good same food with, source as well. Same with some of the other cleanup crew as well. They'll get picked off over time. But, you know, if you've got enough hiding spaces for them and they're doing well, you should be able to breed them in there. Plus, you know, it's a bit of extra food for your, um, for your critters as well. So... I suppose that's something that we didn't actually touch on there is actually hiding spaces for your cleanup crew because that's quite yeah. a crucial point. Yeah, definitely. So that's where your leaf litter comes in handy, your overturned um, bits of like bark or or logs or anything like that. Um, pretty much, especially for your, um, your slaters and your roly-polies, basically that turned over bit of bark is like their haven. So if you turn it over, they'll all be hiding under there during the day. Even inside this terrarium next to me, even though it's an arid setup, I did put those roly-poly kind of isopods in there and yep. they're always underneath the gecko's water bowl. That's like yep. guaranteed every time I pick it up, there's going to be a few of them hanging out underneath there because A, nice it's moist. not tight and yeah, B, it's really moist. So yep. you know, if you're like me and you fill a water bowl, you just kind of splash a bunch of water in there and let it kind of over, over overfill a little bit, then that yep. kind of moist that area for that cleanup crew. Yeah, that's right. And they'll love it and they'll thrive in there as well. So, yeah. But yeah, the cleanup crew, what they basically do, in, in particular, when you're talking things like your earthworms, we've spoken about that. They're aerating the soil, they're kind of helping fertilizer bits, bits and pieces. But the they're basically isopods, essential. They are essential. For a bioactive. That's what kind of makes it bioactive. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. So the the springtails and the, and the isopods, they actually feed off not only like leftover bits of food and feces and bits and pieces yep. that are inside of the terrarium, but they also break down things like mold, in particular the springtails. Exactly, and and the mushrooms. So your mushrooms will grow. They actually eat those mushrooms as well. Yeah. So you know, every now and then, if I see a bit of mold pop up in a terrarium, I start checking out what my springtail colony in the terrarium is doing, and usually nine times out of ten, it's kind of either depleted or, or something's happened to it. So then as soon as you whack a bunch more springtails into that terrarium, it seems to make the mold disappear pretty quick. Yeah, that's true. That's really true. I never actually thought of that one. But um, yeah, the, the springtails are um, – because I know in the States they've got a uh, couple of different types of um, isopods and everything they use over there as well. Some people use beetles as well. I've never used any type of beetle. Um no, I and super super worms, I think. I oh, know what else do they use? Yeah, I've seen them use super, yeah, super worms, worms like as well. Arid setups. Yeah, I've never tried any of that stuff, but um, yeah, there's there's heaps of different other types of cleanup crew you can use, but the easiest ones are definitely be the um, springtails and the worms and the um, slaters, I reckon, for Australia yeah, anyway. Cr- it's crazy when you see those guys overseas with all their isopods. They almost keep the isopods as pets. And they have like yeah. all these different color patterns and things. They're like, this is a rubber ducky, such or other, or whatever. And you're just like, what the hell is tiny? There's actually a like- few pages I was on, and it's like a isopod pages, and they are essentially pets. Like they actually, like we collect, you know, different types of geckos and um, snakes and everything else. They actually collect different types of isopods. I mean, each to their own at the end of the day. But some of the paint yeah, jobs exactly. that are on them too, you're kind of going, well, Unreal. for a tiny little bug, that's that's really cool. You know? Yeah, I definitely once asked them, I was like, oh, I had a quick Google to see what they were. But um, yeah, we're kind of limited over here with what we've got, but, you know, obviously for obvious reasons. But um, but yeah, some of those isopods, yeah, just absolutely mind-blowing the colors on them. Yeah. Yeah, they're cool stuff. That's for yeah. sure. So why don't we get stuck into a bit of plant talk? I always like talking plants. I seem to kill yeah. a few and hopefully make a I've few live. Killed my fair share of plants. So <laughs> yeah. What's what what's your favorite type of so when you set up your bioactive, I know now you're gonna we had a chat the other day, you're gonna try and go basically native to basically yeah. the area the animals are in, kind of. Is that yeah. So you're gonna try and do native plants? Yeah, I'm trying to do natives into in where the areas of the actual animals come from, but sometimes that's that's pretty hard with some of these Australian native plants. It's actually trying to track yeah. these down because they're either super seasonal or, you know, just they're, they're never wanted, so then they're yep. not offered. So yeah. it can be quite difficult to find a lot of stuff. Like I was trying to find um, – I had a couple of suggestions from a guy on Facebook for my white berber enclosure. I think it was like flannel flower and there was something else, but – Man, I checked around all the local native nurseries and they're just kind of like, yeah, you're dreaming. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was pretty difficult. But I mean, if you're just kind of just starting out into this sort of realm and you just want to kind of start around playing around with a couple of plants and dipping your toes into it, so to speak, I don't think you can go past like things like Monstera or Pothos, like any sort of like Devil's Ivy or anything like that. Like they're kind of go-to easy, easy plants. And they're pretty hard to yeah, especially when you're talking, um, you know, your rainforest sort of setups, they do look really good too. Yeah, so that's right. They're quite pretty. Um, and your, some of your figs as well. Um, see, I mainly, most of the stuff, I, I use a lot of ferns in mine. 
because I found with the um, like Burzness ferns. So yep. I found that the leaf tails, so I'd usually put a Burzness fern in the back corner. So that mm. would grow relatively quick. The leaf tails would actually hide behind the Burzness fern as well. Yeah. Um, they'd also use the Burzness fern to drink off. So the water, yeah, okay. Miss King would spray onto the Burzness fern leaf and they would drink off that rather than off the water bowl. And then I'd use um, it, um, maidenhair fern. Is that what yep. it's called? Yep, I'd use yeah, that like quite a bit. One. The little yep. one, yeah. Um, I f- that worked really well with some of the smaller species of leaf tail because they weren't so big. But with the bigger species like your cornutus and your um, salabrosus, they would actually just crush the plant because they just walk over it. So yeah, I stopped using any of those ones. But um. Yeah, and palms. I'd use a couple of little cane palms and that in some of the um, taller enclosures. I really like the parlor palm. Yeah, so do I. That's really nice. I, that's pretty much all I used in a lot of mine. So mine were pretty much – and I'd also use a couple of um, uh, bromeliads as well just on like some cork bark and just tied it in with some sphagnum moss and all that just yeah. to make it look a little bit nicer. But um, – I thought about trying to set it up more of the more native native ferns and everything else, but um, yeah. obviously, yeah, never really got around to it. <laughs> well, you, you're gonna have a bit more practice shortly, so yeah. you never know. You might want to kind of go all native plants with your boids or something like that. You could do some yeah, mad, exactly uh, rapus palms and some native ficus. Um, yeah, there's some really good got, ficus plants out there as well. Yeah, there's um. Yeah, as you say, you like you do all your your bird's nest ferns. Like they come in a whole ton of different varieties because you got like the epiphyte ver- versions of them as well. And, yeah, I wouldn't yeah, mind um, trying a few of those epiphyte versions on the on the um on the rock walls. That'd be pretty cool. So that's seeing, that's what I'm hoping to do. Yeah, I reckon that'd look unreal. Yeah, it should be um should be a little bit exciting. You you also get the heaps of native umbrella plants as well, which are they're a super easy yeah, one to true. grow. Yeah, so, I never thought uh, of that. Yeah, umbrella plants are actually one of my favorites to use in most terrariums. You can pretty much hack them back to nothing and they just burst back into life with absolute vigor. So yeah. they're a nice one to kind of fill in a lot of space. I know Cooper Cooper loves them with his Boyd's Forest Dragons because they can kind of climb all over them and they're kind of like a tough rubbery plant too. So they, don't, yeah. you know, they, they can take a beating. Yep. Um, yeah, I might actually look into those. I'm trying to track down some ficus coronata at the moment. So they're a sandpaper fig from up north. I'm, I'm trying yeah. to get my hands on some of those for for my Boyd's build, and hopefully they don't destroy them, depending on the size of the plant that they are. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that should be a nice little plant to add into one of theirs. But yeah, these, these are kind of like all generally uh, um, rainforest sort of bioactive sort of setups, you know, that we're talking about for these things. So you don't want to be blasting these with heat. Um, Exactly, yeah, arid setups and heat lights and everything else, though they won't last. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm yet to be able to report on what works super well for for arid setups, but you know some of the stuff that I've been using, as I mentioned earlier, I've got that common everlasting um, in that Y Berber setup that I did recently. I actually got a grevillea that seems to be growing, so this is the first yep. grevillea that seems to be actually doing really well. It's, a, it's referred to as a forest rambler. I don't have the Latin in front of me. Um, I think it might have been a hybrid, to be honest. So it won't mm-hmm. be, you know, one hundred percent locale specific, but it seems to be growing Still and doing somewhat well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also playing around with some calistamins. So they they're quite often used around homes as like a hedge. Yeah, but they're yeah. they're a native uh, bottle brush, I believe, or some types of bottle brush. 
So I've got a how couple. Are they, how are they going? The one, the one that I have in the white berber tank on the tag, it actually said that it could handle kind of swampy areas. Yep. So I was like, well, if it can handle that, then it can handle me pouring a whole bunch of water on it and it should be okay. And yep. I've actually noticed that it does well if you keep the water up to it. Like it actually ah, okay. blocks a lot of water. So that's yep. that's kind of promising. I just need to make sure that I'm actually uh, watering it enough. Yeah. Um, what else am I using at the moment? Oh, I'm using a, in one of my brown tree snake enclosures. I've got a Banksia spinulosa. So mm-hmm. that's like a little, little bottle brush variety as well. Yeah. And that's uh, that's doing pretty well. But uh, yeah, it's all it's all kind of trial by error, unfortunately. So yeah, you know, I, ha- I have killed a few things along the way. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing with plants is, um, you know, you got to try and work out what works. But um, I'm, if any of the listeners actually have arid setups, um, when we post some of the pictures up, feel free to comment. Let us know what species of plants you actually use because, you know, we'd love to hear it and try some of these stuff ourselves. Um, so yeah, feel free to contact us and let us know. Sharing is caring. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Every day is a school day. That's the good thing about this hobby, hey, is it doesn't matter which way or which direction you go with it, you're always learning. You're always discovering something new. Like exactly. it's just never ending. Whether you've kept for twenty years, ten years, a day, a week you'll always learn. So the best thing you can do is just listen to everyone, whether it be a new keeper, an older keeper. Basically, you'll always learn. It, um, it's crazy. Like It doesn't matter which age bracket you're in either. I've exactly. learned something off everybody, you know, like the, the young fellow that I got at work, he's always teaching me about something new and then you get like older keepers that are always kind of keen to share a bit of information and little tips yeah. and tricks and everything else. But the best thing you can do is listen and and ask questions. That's the other thing too. Is if ask a question, don't assume that you know it all. If you're not sure, just ask. Like I ask questions. If I'm not sure, I'll ask someone. I'll be the first to admit that I don't know everything. I definitely don't know anything, especially when it comes to venomous snakes. Yeah, I, I'm pretty hopeless on that front. Yeah, so am I. Um, don't get me wrong, I love them, but yeah, I could. I you see all the ID posts on Facebook. I don't even try to ID one. Because it's yeah, I, I don't know, but um, but yeah, geez, this is a pretty long one so far, Luke. <laughs> what are we in about an hour and almost an hour and forty now? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. Well, I think we may as well kind of try to hit this nail on the head. To be quite frank, yeah, We've definitely. Got basically, two more topics that we want to, yeah, or two more kind of points as such that we want to hit on. Um, so yeah, we'll hop into the next section here, and that's about how do you go about watering your terrarium. Well, as I've spoken, I think I've spoken him in both podcasts so far. I'm a big proponent of misking systems. Um, obviously, that would definitely come down to dependent on what species you've got housed in that enclosure. Um, but like I said, most of the stuff I had loved misking systems. So I would set my misking systems up on the timer and basically, yeah, run the misking system. Um, yep. All my had however many enclosure I had set up, I can't remember how many it was. It was over 10, well over 10 bioactives, um, all on one misking system with a minimum single nozzle per enclosure. Some of the big enclosures had two. And, yeah, it would just pump it out. But pretty much, yeah, 
think I'd, I'd only run it for like maybe a minute in the afternoon every second day. And that was pretty yep. much all I'd run it for. Um, if I had a water bowl, and every time I do a water bowl change, I just tip the water into the soil as well. Um, yep. Wash the water bowl, fill the water bowl up, and put it in. And that's pretty much that was my watering routine. And if I was in there and I'd look around and I'd I'd be playing around, I'd be digging for eggs or something. If the soil felt a bit dry, I might just turn manually turn the misking system on and just let it run for basically create like a like a rainstorm. If I knew a storm was coming sometimes as well, I'd come down and when the storm came over, I'd just turn the misking system on for a couple of minutes and just give it a real good drench. So that that drop in pressure as well for the storm would I'm assuming it would help with mating. So basically, yeah, I'd, I'd give it a good drench as well whenever there was a bit of rain. So I always have good fun with that, hey, because at the end of the day, you're trying to mimic the sort of pressure systems that are going on outside as well. So if I notice exactly. that, I do the exact same thing. I run down there and I'm like, oh, I get to turn on the Miss King and watch everything go bonkers for the next 10 but minutes. Did you notice that around. when the storm was coming, your animal, like the, I noticed with my geckos, they would be not going crazy, but they'd be a lot more active mm. whenever there was yeah, a big storm a coming over. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, you see it in the frogs. Frogs go mental for it. Yeah. They can feel that like they're just an absolute barometer. Like they're, they're great indicators for that because you can almost hear the frogs start to croak before the storm's even near you. And then yeah. next thing you know, half an hour later, it's getting real dark and gloomy outside and you're like, ah, that's why they're Like is it 5 o'clock? So, no, it's only 2 o'clock. Yeah. Yeah, they're good for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm pretty similar to you. I think I actually, the most nozzles that I ran off that single Miss King was 15. Yeah. So it's a fair whack of nozzles. Um, yeah. I, what do they say they're rated to? They say that they're rated to like, like seven some or something. Something. Yeah. I don't think I'm, I think, I don't think it was many, but mine didn't struggle. But in saying that, my runs between enclosures was only like, however long the exoterror was and it was into the next nozzle and then onto the next nozzle and then it was basically basically snaked around on my enclosures. But even the last one still had really good water pressure. That's crazy, hey. Like I've honestly got it the whole way across the garage. So yeah. I've got like the main kind of exoterror wall, if you will, and then it actually yeah. – I run the line up and through a roller door tube. It's kind of like a central tube in the middle of there that's hollow and – doesn't get filled with anything. So I roll it through there, mm-hmm. goes into my uh, frill neck enclosure. So yeah. my frill neck gets a spray every every day as well, just to kind of bump the relative humidity up a little. Yeah. Like one one nozzle in a four foot by four foot enclosure doesn't do a hell of a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I've got it down into the, the Boyd's Forest Dragon enclosure from there. So it's, yeah, it's got a couple of runs, that's for sure. Um, and you find it doesn't lose any pressure? Not at all. Have you still got the one misking set up or have you got another one? No, I've just got the one. I've just yeah. got the one that I got from you. So yeah. actually today um, today I was speaking to, to the I've rep. I've got to from... send you those nozzles too. Yeah. <laughs> no, we'll get there one day. Yeah. We're going to do a trade, aren't we? Aren't we trading frogs yes, and we are. something yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah exactly. Sort of That's a good yeah. thing about mate, having mates in this hobby is you just end up trading bits and pieces. Yeah, um, yeah I think I've ordered a new timer today. So I got one Did of the you get nice the one. Yeah, the nice digital yeah. one. I was just that. like, you know what? I, I want to have that nice digital one on the front of my rack so I can see it. You know. Yeah, I've still got it. I've got one Miss King and that timer. They're great timers yeah. though. They're unreal. They're a little bit confusing to work out, but once you work out how it works, it's unreal. Yeah. If I can figure out that 
you know, 30 year old analog box that I got for it with you. <laughs> then yeah. I think I could figure yeah, out the digital one. That, that was the old timer, wasn't it? Yeah. The yeah. original one. Yeah, the I've got new that one down really Yeah. The original one was really good. But yeah, have you tried any of the other misting systems on the market? Any of the others? Or are you just. I have. So obviously working in a reptile-related shop, I get to kind of toy around with a lot of stuff before yep. I decide to buy it or not buy it. So I've run the monsoons. Um, we've yep. played around with those on a few customers' tanks as well as uh, a tank at work. I think they're pretty good. Like for for your value-wise, and especially if you're just setting up like one tank or something, then yeah, I don't see a fault in them whatsoever. You just got to make sure that the reservoir doesn't dry out. But I think it's like a five-litre reservoir at the bottom. So for one tank or two tanks, it's, it it's pretty fine, decent. Yeah. yeah. Um, I haven't played around with the off-the-shelf foggers just because I yeah. think... I, I don't know. I'm not a fan of fogging reptiles. Yeah, it looks a bit... I don't know about yeah, you. Each to their own. I'm not a fan, but I don't really see, see the, fog much. No. Well, I mean... It's not even the look side of it thing for me. It's more the fact that it's a vapor, essentially. Yeah. So then the animals are breathing in a vapor, um, whereas you could have at least like a, a Mist King or a Monsoon or a Repti Rain, like the Zoomed Repti Rain, for example, like they're an actual uh, like water a rain, droplet. Like a droplet. Yeah. They look pretty so cool. They'd different. be good for frogs, I'd imagine, those the Repti Rain ones. Yeah, they're all right. The only downfall there is I actually bought one ages ago when I got into frogs is the reservoir is so small on them. So you got to top oh, them up really? every two days. Yeah. Yeah. So that'd be annoying. See, I had the big uh, 20 liter bucket, I think, for my reservoir, for my misking. Yeah, I've still got it here. I've, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what you do too. Yeah, <laughs> I've got another one. I've got there yeah, because I had the two systems, but I only ever used one. So, um, but yeah. There, I only top that. I used to only top that up once a week, I think. That's pretty good going. I think I honestly top this one up like maybe once a month. Yeah. That's, but that was pretty yeah. regular. Yeah, it might even yeah, once a week. I just I just top it up so I'd never have to worry about it. Um, yeah. and then if you know I was away for two or three days for work, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't stressed like, oh my god, did I top top the water up? So it's just every time I was down here, I'd just top it up. So do you use RO water or are you what kind of water are you running through your misking? Uh, so I have the option to do RODI water here because I've got mm -hmm. the saltwater aquarium that I make my own saltwater for. So I've already got the filtration there for it. Yeah. Um, but if I'm lazy or if I haven't made any water recently or whatever, I'll just use dechlorinated tap water. Yeah, that's what I'd use as well. Yeah. But I'd find that sometimes I'd get calcium buildup on the, um, yeah. on the enclosure. And also on the nozzles. So I'd have to clean the nozzles out. I'd have to run, take some of the nozzles down and soak them in some vinegar water just to break up the calcium, yeah. give a good wash, and then plug them back in. But, um, yeah, it wasn't too often that I did that. I, I haven't had an issue with that so far, touch wood. But in saying that, like, everybody's house is going to be different to depending on what sort of, like, calcium levels and stuff are actually coming out of your pipes. So yeah, that's right. it's kind of hard to say. Yeah, some, sometimes I think the, the RODI waters can sometimes be a little bit too pure. Yep. So it might actually kind of not work out to your advantage so much. But For your plants and so on. Yeah, but I mean, I should actually play around with that. I might just do an experiment where I use nothing but RODI for like, you know, nine months, 12 months or something like that and see what, yep. what happens with the plants. Yeah. But yeah, so I pretty much just stuck to the Miss King because I had it and... 
it was great and I couldn't see a reason to try anything else. So, And as you know now, how good they are. Yeah, I won't be going back to anything else. No. I remember I remember when I first got into Frogs too, I actually made my own Fogger because I thought, you know, oh, Fog's cool, you know, like this before yeah. I kind of knew much about it. And I had like this home humidifier that mm-hmm. I essentially rigged up a hose to like fit into the top nozzle of the, the Fogger section of this humidifier. And then I like yep. had this like hose like jammed into the tank and – Oh man, those poor frogs were just getting fogged all the time. I was like, this, this thing's cool, but yeah. It looks cool, yeah. But I, yeah, I don't know if it would have had any benefit, but no, I don't I don't think so long term, to be honest. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I, I haven't really kept frogs, so I can't really comment too much on the frogs. That's not my forte, but I will be soon, hopefully. So Yeah, a bit of practice shortly. Yeah, no, I can't wait. So but yeah, that's like I said, I'm no expert, so but um but yeah, pretty much Miss Kings, I reckon, are the bee's knees. So, who's the distributor for Miss King now in Australia? Pet Pacific. Uh, okay, because it used to be Rob Porter, didn't it? Yeah, uh, years yeah, ago, right back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, obviously, yeah. I haven't bought any Miss King stuff for a while. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, as I said, like I was only speaking to the rep today. He was in the shop, making sure to order me a. Uh, a new timer, so yeah, I was checking out all the wholesale all price the lists and stuff, pieces so. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, good fun. It's still expensive stuff. Like even just yeah. to buy it, it costs. Like it's it's top notch gear though. And at the end of the yeah. day, it's sort of it is the sort of stuff that is going to last a very long time. Like it's That's just not right. like a janky bit of plastic you're pulling off the shelf for a gimmick. It's like this is proper equipment. Yeah, but um, I know if, the best thing you can do is if you're going to actually set up a Miss King, it would be buy the starter kit. That comes with your yep. nozzles, your hose, your um, timer. Um, I think that's a couple of hundred bucks or a few yeah. hundred dollars from memory. But um, yeah, if you've only got a few animals, that's, that's the way to go. Just buy the starter kit and use that. But I mean, you, you can make your own misting system as well. That's the other thing as well. You There's no reason your, why you can't. Yeah, you can buy the pumps from Bunnings or, or a pump shop and just use the... Um, get your fittings from Bunnings and you can also get the um, hose from Bunnings as well. Can you? Yeah, you can get, um, you can order. It's a special order. So it's, uh, what's the measurement? It's a quarter inch. Yeah, quarter inch. Yeah. So you can order it, but you can get, you can get that from other places as well. So you can do make your own misting system, but, um, but yeah, but it's just oh. kind of, I found it easy just to buy the, I like the nozzles on the Miss Kings because you can adjust them so many different ways and have them set pretty much. Once you've got it in, you can adjust that nozzle to basically point different ways instead of if you buy the the nozzles you can get from like Bunnings and stuff, that's just basically a fixed straight nozzle. You can't really adjust that too much. So, mm. Yeah. I um, I was – my biggest struggle, this is another point of OCD that you kind of instilled in me, <laughs> is for ages like because we sell – RO filters at work, but they they all come with like either, I think it's white or red or blue line. Yeah. So I had like all these different colored lines from just like offcuts from customers or whatever that I had in between terrariums and that. And I was like, no, nah, I've got to find this quarter inch black, you know, RODI line. I couldn't find it anywhere. And then I discovered one place on eBay that was selling like 10 meter rolls for 20 bucks. Yeah. It's like, oh, score. Just bring it board like three rolls i'm still sitting on a stack of it i'm just like yeah i'm just gonna buy it and if yeah. it sits here it sits here it's you know i'll now know where to come to get some black hose 
Yeah, eBay, not me. <laughs> I'm stashing this. <laughs> Save it for later. Yeah. yeah. But no, yeah, um, I was the same. I liked everything to be black, so. Well, it just makes it look so much neater, right? Like it, it just kind of blends in. Yeah. But that's just personal hey, preference. Here's a question. This is another kind of like little sidetrack because this episode is not long enough as it is. <laughs> but you know how when you have your terrarium set up on your rack, Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I hate seeing that kind of light bleed that comes yep. in on the underneath. Top. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So in particular for me, I find it a hassle because when I'm kind of filming videos or, or whatever, yep. it, it kind of bleeds out and washes out a lot of my videos. So what, mm. what did you kind of go around and, and fix for your tanks? Black core flute. Core flute. Yeah, I'm going to try that. So I'm the get black shoot. one. So I'd black yep. core flute, cut it like a strip, so yep. it would sit on the front of the Exoterra and then lean on the front of the rail of the shelf. So yeah, it was just okay. loose. So then if I ever needed to get into the lights or I'd touch anything, I did that towards the end. Um, and the other thing benefit with black core flute as well is you could just slide it. If you, between your enclosures, like both you and me, I used to like lining my enclosures with um, black vinyl on the outsides. Yep. So that way, if you did your expander foam backgrounds or glue anything, you can't see the foam. Yep. But the other option is you can just slide back black core flute between the enclosures as well. Yeah. Okay. So you can just get that from Bunnings, but black core flute. I thought, I thought like maybe of doing like a hinged MDF and painting it black and all this and that. But then I saw black core flute and I'm like, oh, give that a whirl. But that just stops that, the light shine on the top between the gap of the, the rack and yep. the enclosure. Yeah, cool. So I've just – I might try out some of the core flute, to be honest. But yeah, and it's I've, cheap too, did... so if you don't like it, you can always change it. Yeah, I mean, it's only like – what, a 20 – I think it's like a 24 but 1,200 sheet of it or something. It's like 12 bucks. Like it's, yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculously cheap. Yeah. I remember asking you about it ages ago, but I think what I ended up using was like a – almost like a foam yoga mat. Oh, okay. And I was kind of like – cut that up and then put that underneath but the trouble there is i could only find it in like a 1200 mil for like the kind of nice mat that i was after all the other ones had like ribbing and stuff through them and i was like oh. yeah i just wanted something that was like kind of matte matte black so underneath. where did you put that sorry you put that same thing as what you did with the core flute so yeah. i just cut that into thin strips and put it on top of the exo terrors and, and into on the, the shelf. kind of like the yeah onto the shelf yeah um but that's what I ended up using. I think it was like a six mil mat or something like that. So it was, you know, pretty light and you could pull it out real easy or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I just used a bit of bit of tape on the inside of it where you can't see just to kind of stick it. And see, and I was lucky too because they actually use that black core fluid on the construction sites to protect the walls and stuff. So yeah, always lying around. I just grab a big bunch of it and take it home. So I never actually <laughs> bought it. <laughs> so that oh, was hearing it for- nice and handy firsthand. Yeah, you're hearing it here first that uh, Jason's taken stuff off sites for his uh, reptiles. I'll tell you what, you could build four houses with the amount of stuff they throw off a job, off a, like a hospital job. So to build a hospital, you could build four houses with the amount of stuff that gets thrown out. That doesn't surprise me at all because I think we've, we made a few kind of like cubby houses for the boss when I was a chippy. Yeah. I think we made a couple of little like cubby houses or something like that for his kids at one point Yeah, off the yep. stuff that was just scrapped off the site. Yeah, so imagine that on a big, um, yeah, like a big hospital or something. It's insane. That'd be mental. Yeah. All right, so, well, 
just quickly to kind of wrap it up before we kind of get <laughs> too long here, um, what sort of animals are we kind of talking about that will kind of suit these sorts of terrariums? Well, I basically majority was rainforest species. So your leaf tails, um, angle heads, Boyd's forest dragons. I never kept green tree pythons this way, but I know you do. So, yeah, pretty much. I mean, obviously your larger body snakes um, and some of your larger pythons and stuff would have limitations as to what plants you could use because they wouldn't last a day or two with some of those bigger snakes. But, I mean, there's no reason why you couldn't do bioactive soil with some of the snakes. But, I mean, you're still going to have to clean because some of the, the poos that come out of some of those snakes are huge. So you've still got a yeah. spot clean and everything else. But, um, yeah, frogs. What about you? What do you reckon? Yeah, pretty much along those same sort of lines. Like you're generally thinking like more on the smaller side of reptiles, you know, things yeah. that are a bit more delicate. So, you know, when we say something like a boy, it's like that is a big animal at the end of the day, but their, their kind of nature is to almost sit perched for a lot of the time so they're not kind of That's like right. as destructive yeah you know, so just smaller geckos and yeah so like i've set up this this strophorus tank um i'm even doing it for for young black-headed monitors at the moment yeah something that i'm noticing with them is they love to dig ah, so they're okay. they're starting to kind of dig down in a corner and i'm like i'm not going to like that if you do get into the drainage layer of the the terrarium yeah. i think that'll be yeah. a bit of a shit fight um, yeah, so it'll be, be a bit interesting to kind of see where that goes, but yeah, at the end of the day, like I, I wouldn't be doing, I probably wouldn't be doing carpet pythons or anything. Like most of yeah. my bigger animals, I still kind of have set up naturalistic, but in saying that I will use a little bit of cleanup crew in there. I will chuck in some spring toes. I will, I will chuck in some isopods. I'm not expecting them to do the work for me. They, they're going to help a little bit, but you still have to get in there and you know, pick up a big python poo or whatever and yeah. take out the bulk of it and they kind of might clean up a little bit of remnants that you might have missed. But, yeah, most of your smaller stuff. Um, I mean, you could keep um, nephurus as well on an arid yeah. type setup. Um, that's something I thought about doing, just having some maybe aspers or some um, some AMEA set up on a nice arid yep. setup but um, with a nice rock background or something like that. But yeah, That'd be cool. pretty, pretty much the majority of your geckos you can keep. Basically. I'll tell you what, I could I could give you some good reference photos for an AMEA tank. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Oh, I need to get out into Central Australia and see some of these um knob tails, photograph them. I uh yeah, I, le- I lost my mind after finding that gecko. I would have looked like this crazy guy with a headlamp on the side of the road when I found that thing. That was yeah. just like that was a few days of hunting. So, oh really? Yeah, yeah I need it to wasn't... get out more. Need to get out more. Yeah, that's definitely determined. A... Yeah, definitely. Could you imagine me if I saw a green tree python in the wild? I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> I reckon you'd squeal like a girl. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. It'd be un- <laughs> oh man, that would be because that that species, like I said last week, that species was probably one of the first. Obviously, I had the diamond python on my neck, but. That book that I took home had a green tree python on the cover and that species was my favourite and always has been. So to see one of them in the wild and photograph that in iron range would be a big bucket list tick. 
Oh man, I'd I'd love to do it too. I'd be screaming like a girl there next to you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that was the whole reason I started keeping snakes was so I could actually get my R2 and get a green tree python because I was I was hooked as soon as I saw one. I was like, yeah, man, I need to get a couple of these things going. And yeah, have you been watching any of Ricky McKenzie's videos where he goes up into like Cape York and stuff? And I did watch the one where he found like two of them in like the same night or something. I did see that one. Yeah. That was unreal. I was like, yeah, on the side of the road. Yeah, he saw him come out of the car yeah. or something. Yeah, I've, I've I think I've hurt like once or twice, and I'm driving and I can't see. I'm like, oh, it's a stick, and then no, it's not a stick; it's an animal. I'm like, oh, I've already missed it. It's already gone. It's off the road. <laughs> yeah, so, you got to have your eyes dialed in. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm still very novice herper by any means, yeah. but you know, I'm willing to put in some hours. Like even just locally, I'll every summer or something, you know, I'll, I'll put in a few nights a week. Yeah, just to go out and look for it when I've got the time. I mean, I'm a little bit different to you. I don't have kids, so. I don't know yeah. that sort of responsibility. I mean, I'm sure my little fellow lover and he's a bit older and so are my daughter. So, you know, that's yeah. something I'd love to do. Go on little family trips here and there and go for a bit of herping and check out some native wildlife. Like my, both my kids love animals. Like my daughter's only, she's six months old, she's obsessed with animals. Yeah. Like the dog, the cat, she's obsessed. She wants to pat them, wants to touch them. So, you know, both me and my missus are both animal people, so I'm assuming the kids will be as well. They don't really have a choice, but from what I they're can tell, be already, yeah, they're already they're already animal people, so which is good. The world needs more people to love animals, I reckon. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, well, this is a long one, but yeah. So we will once this comes up online. Um, probably on Spotify first, I'd imagine. We might post a couple of pictures of setups on social media and all that stuff so you can kind of see what me and Luke have been talking about tonight, a couple of different species that would be suitable for um, bioactive setups um, and whatnot. Basically, the way we've set up enclosures, some of our enclosures, you'll probably see a lot more of Luke's pictures because he's actually got, like I said, his YouTube if you want to set up some of these enclosures, check out his YouTube because he's got videos that give you step-by-step step on how to set up these enclosures, how to do your backgrounds and everything else. Um, but, yeah, naturalistic, bioactive, basically that's what this whole episode's been about. So we'll try and post as much as we can and that way you can see what we're talking about. Yeah, don't don't discredit yourself there either. You know, Jason's got a lot of good reference material to go back on over at the Gecko Effect, both on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, yeah, it's definitely been an inspiration for me. And if you want to see some enclosures that are pretty OCD, then it's the way to look at it. I don't think I posted too many enclosure pictures. I never really took any because in my mind, I was always like, no, I'm not happy with the way it looks. Like, I could, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. But yeah, it's just my OCD. <laughs> oh, but, mate, um, I know that. I know that feeling. I've just been filming. As you know, the the whole reptile room tour thing, because that's a YouTube phenomenon, apparently. So, yeah. um, you know, but you you kind of scan around the room and you're like, oh, that, that enclosure's got smudge glass, this enclosure's got this, or whatever. So, and you spend half a day cleaning it to film it for 15 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Yep, I know that feeling all too well. I'm not trying to show yeah. off the slightly dirty side of the hobby as well. But I mean, it happens. You know, you can't be, you know, the cleanest. Everyone likes to be, but. Especially if you keep Oadura, those velvet geckos, those things are the messiest things ever. I mean, they're good for bioactive as well, the Phyllis but 
mate, the mess they make on the glass is next level. Yeah. Next level. I mean, I've got, I've got some northerns and some uh, western marbles. Um, yeah, they're <laughs> they are messy animals. I don't think I'll invest in too many more Aridura, but yeah, they're so pretty though. That's the downside. Is they're exactly. the most gorgeous geckos, and you're just like, oh, why Especially, do you have to run around going everywhere? Well, I think you follow the same page. It's a hurt photography page. Did you see? It was. I'm pretty sure I saw you like a bunch of the pictures the other day. It must have been like a a velvet gecko night or something because all the herpers were posting pictures of their velvet geckos. Yeah. Yeah, they were all going mental. Oh my God, I was blown away by some of those. Yeah. Absolutely blown yeah. away. I mean, it's one thing to find find the animals in the wild, but to photograph them the way that some of these guys and girls are taking pictures of these animals, it's insane. And like, because I'm a bit of like landscape photography, I never really got into the herping stuff, but some of the, the backdrops these guys are getting behind these geckos, like, you can see the Milky Way and then there's pictures of like geckos and lizards and everything else. It's insane. There's some talented photographers yeah. out there, absolutely talented photographers out there. I've got no hope of keeping up in that. I always try to research <laughs> how to take photos, like good photos and stuff like that, and I take some okay ones and I'm just like, I'm just not happy with this. That's just, yeah. you know, sometimes the phone takes, I find my phone takes better photos than what I can take with a camera because it just all automates it in the in the camera itself in the phone. So I'm like, ah, that'll have to do me. Yeah, I'll leave the photography to the the hardcore guys. Yep, yep. But um, yeah, but yeah, if we love hearing the feedback, guys. So um, you know, if you got any more feedback, hit up me or Luke. We love hearing about it. So any any anything you want to guys want to hear about as well, um, don't be shy to reach out and have a chat. We're not going to bite your heads off. If anything, we're both probably pretty shy guys. So I still get nervous when I hit record. <laughs> yeah, as do I. It's a, it's a weird thing how you're kind of putting yourself out there like this. I have to say it's um it's not so bad behind a microphone, I have to admit. But when you put yeah. your – like I think you you and me both have faces for radio. So, uh, <laughs> you know, when, when yep. you do that and, you know – it's uh, it's weird putting yourself out there, but yeah, I always anyway. thought of doing a YouTube, but yeah, I just I couldn't bring myself to talk to myself in front of a camera. I don't know how you do it. Like I, I talk, like talking. This is alright because I'm talking to you. Like I kind of forget that people are listening. I just feel like we're talking sometimes. But um, we are. Yeah, exactly. It's just a conversation between two guys, really. I think it's going to make it good going forward because we've got a few guests lined up as well. So yep. you know, that's Some the kind of selling too. point. Is we're all just weird lizard and snake people that keep animals in boxes and uh just having a casual chat so yeah it should be pretty interesting we've got a few few very cool guests lined up i'd say so anyway what do you reckon mate do you reckon we uh wrap this one up before we get rambling for too long sounds good to me i think this is almost bang on two hours mate so uh, yeah by the so, time yeah. the podfather edits it together it should be just over i reckon hopefully it doesn't have to do too much so oh that's another <laughs> one too that um that sneak peek we got of that field hurt podcast that was unreal. I really liked the edit on that. Hey, so did I. I thought that, that was, was quite notch. cool. Top notch. Yeah, it was very um, almost very studio like a like a very well done production. Yeah, I think I'm probably about halfway through it, but yeah. I loved like all like little segments where it just kind of like stops and there's like the voiceover that kind of comes in and tells you about the venom of the snake or whatever and yeah, you know, it's a little yeah, bit of exactly. information in between like the crazy stories in there. Yeah, because both of you and me just love podcasts and a, a couple of people that have, you know, reached out to us and said, 
give us gave us a bit of feedback are all podcast people as well so it's just good to see my podcast out there yeah because i get over listening to the radio and ads on the radio so man the guys at uh morelia python radio are absolutely killing it too with the range of podcasts that they've got out there you know they've yep. got you know colubrid corner which posts once in every while you've got carpets and coffee i think that comes out every monday or something or every tuesday yep. here um got the the original the morelia python radio you got uh what humans of herpticulture i think that's lucas's podcast um, so, yeah the field herping podcast which has just dropped i think they're struggling to get that approved as well just like ours on yeah, uh, i think iTunes they've got google an episode on the npr there was a field herp podcast but i don't know if that's that's oh, okay. obviously a completely different edit to what the one we listened to was but yep. yeah and then there's um a couple of other good ones out there as well in america the um yeah but yeah, it's just good to um, get a nice Aussie local one. Well, that's the thing; we just don't have enough Aussie podcasts out there. So, yeah, exactly. There's room for heaps. Like I would listen to all of them. Yeah, especially Australians. I'd be, yeah. I'd be down for a few more jumping on board. Yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, we're open to have a good chat with a bunch of people as well. So, down for that. Should be good fun. All right, yeah. mate. Let's wrap this thing up and. Uh, Go our separate ways and meet back here next week. Hit the hay. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. So we have to pay a tribute to our podcast overlords, Eric and Owen. And if you'd like to contact them, it's best to find them at moreliapythonradio.com and email them at info at moreliapythonradio.com. Um, as far as contacting us and our social media platforms, you can email us at australianherptoculture at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. To see more of what Jason is doing, make sure to follow him on Facebook and Instagram at The Gecko Effect. For myself, you can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, and Teespring under Beecher Scaly Beasts. From both of us, we hope that you hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope to have you back next week for another episode of the Australian Hope. Goodbye.